0: Hey everybody, week three is here. Week three is on us, the episode is behind us, and we have a lot to talk about, as usual. I know you know that already. With me as always is Sean of House Beard. Shea is running production as well as usual. Thanks to both of them for joining us all, and thanks to you for joining us all. We're hoping for another excellent live stream. You guys have given us some questions in advance. We have plenty prepared, and of course we have poured over all the details as usual, leaving no stone unturned. There's probably still some Stones unturned. There's yeah, probably still some We, we try to leave some stones <laughs> unturned. Oh, we have a super chat already. Okay. Well, super chat from Jay zate Thanks, Jay. Uh, viewed y'all's predictions and theories vid after the F3 aired. It was a blast hearing on, on point, or how on point, or off. Y'all were. Prop to Sean's insight got most right. Yeah, that was something we're going to talk about. Thanks for bringing that up, Jay. We definitely enjoyed our first ever Saturday live stream. It was really good to compartmentalize... The stuff that's coming today was the first day that I didn't think about what was coming. I mean, I couldn't help but think about it yeah. somewhat. But I was able to compartmentalize a lot of the what's coming next things, save those. Because it's really hard to think about that. In le- I mean, it's been less than 24 hours since the episode. And by moving that aside, we're able to focus even more on what actually happened, which makes it easier to predict what's coming too when you really have a good handle
1: on what has good good order to do things. It's hard to separate the two, but it's easier to do the predictions the more you have time to stew over what's happened so far. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: So, a couple of things I wanted to say to start off with. I think the name of the episode, of course, was The Queen's Justice, and that played out in a lot of different ways. We, of course, Cersei, that was pretty obvious. Danny as well. um, Mostly her justice in her, you know, case was her claim to the North (laughs) and to the Seven Kingdom the general. We didn't really consider the Queen of Thorns justice
1: that much, did we? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that was, uh, I don't know if I want to say obvious, but in retrospect, it's obvious.
0: It's funny because I didn't think of her as Queen, but her nickname is Queen of Thorns. Like, oh, derp. Of course. She's, <laughs> yep. like, yeah. Uh, we, we thought about maybe Sansa as well, but she's not a queen, at least not yet. She didn't really deal out any justice. Also, not yet. Maybe that's coming. But we do see her very much running things, which is cool. The episode was full of layered misdirection. And like what I mean by that is the trailers even kind of threw us off. And trailers are supposed to do that. Trailers, often they trick you. But I'd say this was another step up. Like, this was even more misdirection than usual. And that was fun. I like that. A misdirection game. And you'd think they'd be good at this, too, because this is a show that's had to evolve through, you know, leaks and the need for security that's far tighter than most shows. I mean, we got people taking drone photographs back when drones were expensive. Never know? mind
1: that. Even if there were no leaks, right? There's still the collective mind of the internet hyperanalyzing everything is still likely to come up with a lot of what's coming. So anything they give us to reaffirm that, I don't know if I'm going to say it ruins it, but it makes it a little less fun. It's a little more fun when we're trying to figure it out and can't be sure. It's It wouldn't be as fun if we can never figure anything out. I think that they're fairly tricky, if that makes sense. Right on, right on. And, you know, something else I thought was interesting
0: is that we were... Pretty. It was pretty clear we'd see High Garden soon. And it was very clear we'd see Castle Rock in this episode. But still, it was surprising, kind of even knowing that I was coming, to see two major castles that had never been seen before in the same episode. And that was like, oh, wow. And that was fun. I enjoyed being fooled. I enjoyed being surprised. And, you know, like you said, we pour over the material so much. And you guys pour over the material so much. And we all talk about it. So many of the possibilities come out. Like, even if we don't nail the possibility... We probably n- mentioned it, you know. I'm not not always, certainly not always, but using imagination, attention to detail, like Littlefinger's fighting every battle all the time, <laughs>
2: you
0: know, <Yeah. laughs> friends with everyone's enemies with everyone. That's that is how we think about. it. We're like, well, what if these two are friends? What if these two become enemies? And it's it was kind of a meta conversation that Littlefinger was having there because it reflects how we think about the show <laughs> quite a lot. And but it's difficult because these characters change. They grow. Their motivations change. I mean, they, we've got characters that have started off as 11 years old that are teenagers now, or, or
1: teenagers are now adults, and, you know, of course those characters are going to change. I've made this analysis or compar- comparison a bunch of times. It's like chess has all these pieces, and you learn how the pieces work, and then you can kind of predict what they're going to do, you know. Game of Thrones, this world, history Westeros, Martin, d d have established these players, these characters, these pieces on the board. And we, for the most part, know how they behave. And I think that's one thing I like about the show, these characters are pretty well developed. But there's so many of them, it's hard, you know, even if you're good at chess, you can still only predict maybe four or five moves ahead, you know, like really good chess players can only really get four or five moves ahead. And I think that there's more pieces on the game of Throne's board than they're on a chessboard. board. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There's certainly more than two queens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's only and more than there's only lo- two kings. And right? there's a lot
0: more than 16 pawns. <laughs> <laughs> and then as far as, and talking about knowing, you know, figuring out what's going to happen, here comes Bran just like, yep, I know everything. But, you know, I can't explain it yet. But, hey, sister, how about your most awful moment? Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> that was, uh, Yeah. <laughs> That was a little, a uh, little funny.
1: I had some good moments too. You bring those up. <laughs> yeah. Remember when I asked Draw for he was going to lead the vanguard? Did yeah. you see that moment? <laughs>
0: remember when I re- remember when I reduced Ramsay to stammering because I brought yeah. a bastardy? Why don't you bring that <laughs> up? Come on, dude. You're my brother. <laughs> um, or is he? Yeah, and, and we didn't. We didn't. Yeah. <laughs> he seems very different now. He's yeah. We'll, we'll talk about him in a minute. There was still no wall this episode, which is not a surprise. Which Uh, means no Tormund. Right. No Brotherhood, which is also not a surprise that we certainly are wondering when they'll pop back in the story since it's been a minute. No Aria. So we got that prediction right, that Bran will come before Aria. So by the way, we're not going to take any questions about any of those things because we have so much to cover. So no Aria questions, no Gendry or Brotherhood or Wall questions, but we will take those sort of questions for our Predictions and Theories episode on Saturday. So I'm going to mention that again. Saturday, we had our first ever Predictions and Theories episode, and it was awesome. So join us there. Saturday, live stream the thing is, we release it as a podcast afterwards, but only the main bulk of it, because there's just not enough time to get it out that same day, and still, have people, still give people time to listen to it on Sunday before the new episode comes out. So showing up for the live stream, you get a little more out of it, you can also ask questions, but we'll put it up for you shortly afterwards, as soon as we can, so you can catch up either way. Also, a few before we get started, a few shout-outs. We now have three heads of the dragon, in addition to Lord Mark of House Joseph, the Snow and Winterfell, rider of Maslacartha, a white dragon with green scales, horns, wings, and talons, which you can see on screen, Azani's wonderful art, which will need to be updated fairly soon. We also have telenius the Talon, king of Gagasos, rider of Talarius, a red dragon with scales, horns, and talons of midnight black. And Jinx of House Lear, green queen of the rainwood, rumored daughter of a woods witch, rider of Erogenia, a sylphic albino dragon with amethyst eyes and opalescent wings. And, of course, thanks to Jeff Gnarly the Longsnapper, History of Westeros' first sword. If you want to get in on the action with chats, you can certainly do that. We're seeing the comments here Shea is monitoring that. If you do a super chat, which is a paid question, that's make sure that we see it and we will absolutely always answer a super chat. All right, so let's get into the meat of it. First off, we have a question from Alicia Benson. Sean, what are you drinking? It's good that we're covering this ahead of time. Sometimes we forget.
1: (laughs) It's actually the same mix that I had last time. The uh, Naked Drink, they have a green protein mix, mixed with green tea, mixed with standard Mountain Dew. You're (laughs) right. I don't know.
0: (laughs) I'm drinking coffee and sparkling ice again. My drinks are a lot more... I don't know, standard. <laughs> Coffee and sparkling ice mixed together? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try it. I don't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again to watchers on the wall for the stills and images. We got a lot of our visuals from their uh work on collecting those things and we use that for our predictions and theories episode. It's our own, it's our most of our own stuff for episodes like today and our book to show. And that's mostly on Shea. So thanks again to her. Let's start in the north. We've got Sansa taking charge. It was cool to see. I like seeing her giving out the orders and good orders. Seems like she's smart. The whole grain arrangement thing is one of those logistical things that we talk about the show just kind of glosses over that stuff a lot. So it's, you know, and I don't expect it anymore. They just, they dodge it so often. It doesn't even bother me when they don't do it. I just go, eh, that's another thing I skipped. I'm just used to it. It's like Star Wars, where, you know, we're all just used to the fact that stormtroopers can't shoot, and you can see the bullets. I mean, you, can, you can't you can really complain about realism as far as action in Star Wars when they do that. And the same thing, like, if this is their pattern. They're not going to deal with logistics properly. You just got to accept it and move on. I mean, you'll have to. I accept it and move on as much as I can.
1: I struggle with it. Shows that make up for it in other ways are the shows that I like. Yeah, I mean, it bothers me. It takes a little effort for me to put it aside, yeah. but I do put it aside. I want to say, although... I particularly like that scene because it's something I always want to see that they so rarely do is a character that's supposed to be a good leader, show them be a good leader. Yes. Usually the way they show them be a good leader is fight with a sword, you know, but this was Sansa <laughs> being a good leader. This is her like taking account of things, addressing issues, having knowledge, giving direction, so on and so on. It would have been so easy for them to have her be the queen and then sit in a room by herself quote-unquote, being a good leader. You know, she was out there doing the things a good leader does. They so rarely show us... We so rarely see characters do that. I don't want to... Not Game of Thrones too much, but they're kind of guilty of it, too. It's very rarely that you see Danny giving direction to her subordinates or almost any of the characters. And and it's not unique to Game of Thrones. Almost any show. I think Lord of the Rings is an example I bring up a lot. It's one of the worst examples of all time. (laughs) But but this is one of the best examples of all time. And to further that point
0: it's interesting we have sansa making good decisions and and being a good leader as far as we can tell so far meanwhile we have john and danny who are quality leaders that make that have a lot of shortcomings you know maybe sansa we haven't had time for sansa shortcomings to come out as a leader well we definitely haven't (laughs) um but what i'm noticing is that Cersei's side right now has people who are really good at what they do. She's got a lot of good people in the right places, but she's a, it's, but still, she's still a bad leader because she's a terrible person and she treats people badly. And, you know, no one would want to be her subject if they had a choice. But, you know, on the other hand, Daenerys and Jon, who are worthy leaders because, you know, they make a lot of mistakes. Tactical errors, leadership mistakes, but they have... Good intentions. They have very good intentions. They want to defend the realm. Sure, Danny wants to take the realm because she believes in she's entitled to it, but she intends to treat everybody well. You know, uh, that's, you know, it's a bit of a little from column A, a little from column B, but it's, regardless of what you think of Danny, it's pretty hard to say that she isn't doing a lot better than Cersei in terms of like morals, you know, and honor. And that's what I think is really interesting. Right now, the, the quote unquote bad guys have all the talent. <laughs> <laughs> with all the military talent right now, Danny has good politicians on her side, but they keep screwing that up. Anyway, I got ahead of myself. We're talking about the yeah, North. Yeah, there's
1: a couple of points there that, that I want to bring up later. I want to compare Danny and John, and I want to compare Danny's position now as, as opposed to in the past.
0: Right. I was getting a little ahead of myself, but I wanted to compare all those three things together. And, you know, here at the beginning, I think is the right place for that. But we'll get to the detail levels on some of those things later. So back to the North. Important to see that Jan Roy's still getting lines. That's our theory, is that one of the reasons they're giving him lines is because he's going to take over for Littlefinger after Littlefinger's killed. We may have started to see how this may start to play out. Littlefinger gives his
1: interesting... Real quick, yeah. before we go too deep, I want to point out, before he gets killed or otherwise removed, he might get exiled Absolutely. or run away or something. Yeah.
0: 100% true, yeah. He doesn't have to be killed. I st- I'm guessing he's going to be killed, but you're right. It's, it's not a sure thing. So this interesting thing that happens, first of all... Littlefinger gives his this kind of game theory advice to Sansa, which we uh, originally back in the beginning predicted maybe would be like his death speech. So it wasn't clearly, <laughs> but as I said, this, some of this stuff is set up very curiously. Shay's gonna pull this image up here. Very curious how the camera went right to Littlefinger's face when Maester Wilkins says that he that Lewin kept a copy of all Raven Scrolls. Now that wording is super important. I saw a lot of confusion on this. We were confused about it at, at first as well. Here's something to remember. My first instinct after thinking about it was that he's worried about the letter that Lysa sent to Catelyn where, you know, he, she basically blamed the Lannisters for the death of Jon Arryn, which we all know wasn't true. And Sansa knows the truth of that. However, Sansa doesn't know necessarily the truth of that. But, and you would ask, why is Lysa, you know, how can this letter matter if it's been burned? Well, the exact wording that Maester Wolken said was Lewin kept a copy. Of all Raven Scrolls, very distinct a copy, so it should exist, and that would be why Littlefinger is like, "Uh oh, (laughs) I better check that out." What kind of records do you have exactly?
1: Yeah, even aside from that particular letter, there may be some other ones. There may be a lot of things that might implicate Littlefinger in ways that he would not like.
0: You are correct. There, there's so it just it's the possibilities
1: are really kind of limitless. You know what, though? There also might be a lot of letters he would be interested in the information on. You That's know? true. Even if there is something that might implicate him in some negative way, it might be too much of a project for someone to go through all that. You know, he maybe he's more or less worried than he should based on the likelihood of someone being able to process all the information that exists. But he might want to process all the information that exists. That might be something he would like to get his hands on.
0: Yeah, and now... Especially, rather, speaking of, you know, infinite possibilities or so many, all those letters, think Bran comes on scene. And that's got to scare a little finger a little too if he can truly see everything. Now they gave themselves an out or at least a way to delay this because one of the first things he says is he hasn't learned to focus. He hasn't learned to like sift through the noise. And if you can think back. Or imagine a number of different like superhero type shows or comics where someone has like telepathy, where they can hear thoughts, and when they first get the power, Legion comes to mind, where they just can't, they just can't shut it out. Like they're hearing a thousand, a million voices all at once, and they can't focus on any individual one of them. It's to me, this is what's happening with Bran. He just can't. He's just overwhelmed. He can't seem to dial it down, and, and that's partly why he said one of the most awkward things he could have said to Sansa it was like, "Why are you bringing that up?" You know. But it's supposed to show. You know, how dark he is and how he's not really Bran anymore, right?
1: Yeah, I. that's what I took from that scene is that he is the Three-Eyed Raven now. Technically, he's in Bran's body. As, like, as a Three-Eyed Raven, he recognizes that he's Bran and that Sansa is his sister. But he doesn't have the same sort of personal emotional connection anymore. He feels as much pity or sympathy or love towards Sansa that the Three-Eyed Raven would, now, which is not zero. The Three-Eyed Raven would feel bad about what happened to Sansa and would recognize that as a sister and brother that they would have an emotional bond. He, he would be aware of these things, but he wouldn't actually feel these emotions. And I think that came across in how Brand's character or the actor, you know, delivered this, you know, kind of this thousand-eyed stare Thousand eyes, thousand yards stare. A thousand eyes, that's good. that's <laughs> yeah, nice thousand eyes stare. stare, yeah. That's
0: really good, thousand eyes and one.
1: <laughs> uh, just uh, sort of his disconnect with what would be appropriate to talk to her, especially combined with what might be an overload of information in his mind. That might be a highlight moment. You could see how someone, like with all these flashes of images and emotions and memories going through Brand that would stand out. It was a beautiful moment, you know, and it was a highlight moment of her life. He might not register how connected it is to some of the darker moments, you know.
0: Absolutely, good call. And I think that as well. I think this is maybe how they're going to delay things. But it's interesting because we thought Bran or maybe Sandor or maybe even Arya would come along to kind of out Littlefinger, and it looks like he may just out himself. Let's say let's pull up this image of Bran as well, just to just to get a you know a visual representation of what he's become. I think that. I would say some things about what I think is coming, but I think we're going to save that because I think there's a lot of what we know comes from the trailer for next episode, so we won't talk about that. There's definitely some things that that might provide even more detail on him, but we'll save that for Saturday's live stream. But look at, yeah, Brad, it's just so different. I mean, he's just... Uh, it, you know, it felt a little off to me when I saw the scene. You know, I get what they're trying to communicate there, but it just—it didn't feel quite right to me. But how is it supposed to feel? Like I don't know. Like you can't really have Brand's perspective. You know, you yeah. can't like put yourself in Brand's shoes. You can kind of put yourself in Santa's
1: shoes, and that's hard. But Brand's shoes, like that's just out of this world. Well, th- in addition, okay, so there's a bunch of things. One, think how tough or awkward or uh, impactful, whatever uh, this meeting would be, aside from some of the supernatural stuff, right? think look physically how different brand is from the last time sansa saw him he's a different person you know yes and and so is sansa and so physically her just registering how he looks now and maybe floating back the idea that he's been paralyzed you know that this tragedy has occurred to him has maybe not been active on her mind but here it is back in front of her that it wasn't just this thing that happened to him when he was a boy that it's this thing that happened to him for the rest of his life mm-hmm. on and on you can imagine the swirl of different emotions that they're going through here and you see it on Sansa's face she's clearly very emotive whereas Bran's stone-faced Stone face Bran, yeah. <laughs> as hard as it might be to put yourself in Bran's shoes it's also hard to put yourself in a three-eyed raven shoes really really hard now we got to try to put ourselves in both of their shoes <laughs> Yeah, I think it uh, might be weird, and people might not like how this is going down, but I, I understand it, and I also don't know what people really expected either, you know, even if it wasn't yeah. for this, what seems to be presenting a shifting of his character in general to the Three-Eyed Raven, it still would have been tough to, to present this scene very well anyway, you know, and I think everyone was expecting tears and hugs and emotions, right, and we only got half of that, so there's this disappointment, but I think... It makes sense. Disappointing as it is, I think Bran's character is just gone. That's my take on it.
0: I think so, too. Yeah, no, I, I, you, that's an astute observation. Like, to me, I was like, this is kind of awkward. But then I thought, yeah, then like you said, like, but what was I expecting? And I'm, I don't know. What I was expecting, I definitely should not have expected a tearful reunion, at least on Bran's side. Sansa, absolutely. That makes total sense. But yeah, I don't know what I expected from
1: Bran. But in retrospect, it does fit, even though it felt a little awkward. Especially when you consider... The scene we did get, it was a little, but that scene we got at the wall, he was pretty stone-faced and awkward there. By the way, I wish I could remember who to give credit to, but someone tweeted, "Brand came back talking like Jaden Smith. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's
0: perfectly true
1: <laughs> we need to see we need an official brand jaden yeah. smith twitter account making it
0: you know, typing every word in first letter capitalized just saying i can't explain it batman I told brand. you it was hard to explain yeah <laughs> <laughs> that would be really good someone do that please <laughs> So there, that wasn't a long scene. There's not, there was a lot of nice setup in that scene, but it was pretty brief. And it seems like most of it is yet to come. Like that there wasn't definitely not a lot of screen time on that. And I can understand why Sansa walked away. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would have been overwhelming for her. Just, they just were not on the same page about anything. She's probably like, w- why, you know, and free she's like trying to get along with like, I don't know what that means. You know, she's <laughs> like smiling, like being patient, like three eyed Raven. Like what? What are you talking about? <laughs> and then she's just like, You're kind of behaving slightly sociopathic, and
1: now you're bringing up my psychopath husband in his worst night. Like, yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, I didn't think of it till just now, but I can see why John cut Davos short on some of the supernatural explanation. And Danny's already like, Took a heart to what's he talking about? You know, Sansa's reacting to Brand kind of weird. <laughs> Let's focus on reality, and we'll get to the supernatural stuff later. (laughs) Okay, so let's go to Dragonstone. Let's move on to there.
0: I would say that it's a good thing John remembered to bring his wildling pants. (laughs) Wildling pants. They just won't kneel. (laughs) A lot of great dialogue and acting here, mixed with some, you know, seriousness, with some good subtle undertones, with some good, like, realistic... What the kind of things they'd be concerned about, and a lot of humor, a lot of good like funny moments that kind of broke some of the tension. John's reaction to the dragons was 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 cool. It was a fun moment, and his face was (laughs) was pretty funny. Tyrion noting Sansa's intelligence, and John following up that she's starting to speak out. You know, (laughs) yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) that was funny. And then let on, I think was the line. Yeah, let on how smart she is. She's (laughs) she's starting starting to let on. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that was really funny. Davos bringing up Missandei's
0: birthplace was not funny. He thought he was just being friendly, and he probably didn't understand why she got why he got the cold shoulder. But that's probably a painful memory. Like Missandei was taken early as a slave, and probably doesn't have a lot of actual memories of Nath. You know, and so that was kind of brought up the wrong thing there. They wouldn't be fond memories, even if she uh,
1: did have actual memories.
0: Yeah, and of course, there's more humor once they get inside. Masande's reading of the titles, as compared to. This is John Snow. He's king in the North.
1: <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, <laughs> and on there, a lot of levels, that was great because not only was it humorous, but it also kind of demonstrates a difference in her characters. John's not there to prove what a badass he is. Danny seems to be make everyone needs to know. I'm the queen. You know, John's not worried. John's not worried about that.
0: Yeah, and a cultural thing too. The North does have a simpler situation. Yeah. Like Ned came down to the, the South and was just overwhelmed by how court worked there it was nothing like how it worked in the north and that's kind of the same thing danny's you know upbringing and how she's handled herself and everything is just is more more along the lines of southern culture whereas john is that simple simple northern attitude about everything and he doesn't want a big long title he's not comfortable with it you know it doesn't work for him because he's not a guy that wanted to be king in the first place and that comes up in another way you know Tyrion says everyone wants to do what they're good at, and John's like, "No, not me." Yeah, everyone <laughs> likes what they everyone likes, everyone
1: likes what they enjoy, right? And John, John, it might be good at killing, but he doesn't like it. He's in positions where he has to do it. He's trained to do it as a boy, but he doesn't actually like doing yeah, it. Yeah, he's you an know,
0: inspiring that. leader, and he's not excited about that either. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't like the
1: responsibility, but he takes it. He takes it. So this is a comparison that I wanted to make. Okay, Danny has been making move after move. To get more power. She has this quest, this vision to be on the Iron Throne. And she makes all these moves to get more power. Now, along the way, she might help some people out. She might free some slaves. She might better herself. She might she might do some bad things. She might burn some people alive, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. John is on this quest to help people out. From the beginning, naive as it may have been, he wanted to go to the wall to pretend to protect everyone from the bad guys, you know? And he ends up with power, John has been seeking out responsibility and ends up gaining power. Yes. Danny has been seeking out power and has ended up with responsibility. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, and
0: they're kind of coming together because they they there was some, you know, there certainly was disagreement, and Tyrion helped out a lot. But there was in, right away there was some mutual respect. I think. I think there was, you know, they both started to get the picture of. We have a lot in common. We have a lot of similar attitudes, a lot of different, in their, a lot of difference in their upbringing, a lot of difference in their culture, a lot of difference in what they're, the, what's at their disposal, but similar attitudes towards how to treat people, towards what, you know, what the ultimate goals should be, and you know a lot of other things along the lines that, that bring them together. That Tyrion helped them realize that. You know, so we let's talk about Tyrion's back channeling. Now we predicted that Tyrion would be dealing with Davos, but you know, in retrospect, that didn't make a lot of sense because Tyrion and Jon already had a relationship and that actually makes more sense. So We probably should have realized that, but no big deal. Slightly off there. Hmm. And, you know, did their initial meeting have that kind of Han Solo Lando vibe to it? Yeah, yeah, did. Yeah. <laughs> that was cool. I like that. And patron Priscilla N. noted that later when they were on the cliffs together, it kind of was a hearkening back to when they were chatting atop the wall. I did not yeah. catch that. Good catch. And it's really funny. Just remind you, we talked about how Jon misses so many things, how he's you know, so much like his father, or his father about his leadership style and his just disdain for politics to the point where he just is really thick. He's he's so not wanting to think about politics that he doesn't think about it at all. Yeah. <laughs> and Tyrion's like, you really are just like <laughs> I really doesn't spell this out for you. Huh? He's like, are you really gonna give up that easily? You know, come on, man. Just just there's a way to make this work. And Tyrion really does a lot to make that happen. His argument about to Danny of. Yeah, just give him the dragon glass. You don't need it. You don't care about it. It's a free roll. He'll, yeah. It'll bring you all closer together. He'll have more. He'll, 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 you know, loosen up a little. He'll have less reason to be upset with you because you're giving him something and it costs you nothing. So really, uh, it was really well done there.
1: There was another moment I liked there where John sort of realized. You know, he was like, ah. he's like, it baffles me. I can't believe it. I'm trying to tell everyone these zombies coming. If someone came and told me there was zombie coming, I'd be. What? Uh, yeah, I probably wouldn't believe it either. You don't believe me, do you, Tyrion? <laughs> no, it kind of registered in his mind. And Tyrion says, look, you're asking for something that's unreasonable. Even if you're right, if someone else is right and came to you with this, you wouldn't just auto accept it. You know? yeah. And John walks off and like, wait, no, hold on. Don't give up. Like, yeah. Let me tell you how to make it reasonable. Yeah. Baby steps.
0: Yeah, baby steps. I, I see a comment from uh, Eliana who says that... Bringing up, you know, that you've been dead before, supernatural things like that, that's more of a really a second or third date kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. So let's talk about John and Danny after Tyrion's moves paves the road for them again. There's... Not much in the way of romance, which I like. I'm not against them getting together. I know a lot of people are, but I'm glad it wasn't just like, oh, they just fall in love immediately. I really didn't want that to happen. It definitely did not. You know, there was Danny kind of gave a gaze at John after she kind of dismissed him and didn't look at him when she's like, you better get to work, John. You know, in response to, so you believe me now? Tyrion said yes. Tyrion believes him now because, and he points out good reasons why he believes because Mormont and him and all these other like trustworthy people. But Danny wasn't willing to commit yet. She's like, yeah, I don't know, but she so she just kind of changes something. Like, you better get started, you know, and but then she looks back at him as he's walking away. So maybe I think that was meant to give us a little bit of that vibe, but that's all. There, I didn't see anything
1: else that remotely qualifies as like a, a romantic vibe. I, I agree. I think maybe the seeds are set for it. I thought that John was going to show up. They would have their meeting. They would butt heads, get along or not. Then he would go back, but it looks like he's staying. And so maybe over the next episode or two episodes. Maybe he will. She even at one point said, uh, "Someone told John, ask the other people, ask them about me, right?" Someone said, "See what they think, you know." And uh, and, and I think we're going to get to see that if John does stay and work in his minds with the Dothraki, he'll get their perspective and maybe gain even more respect for her or whatever.
0: And it's interesting from Yanny's perspective. Danny's never really, it's it's a lot of things to think about as far as everybody's perspectives and what they've seen and what they know and and how they uh, perceive all this. And there's a lot of that in the scene because you got to, from John's perspective, he realizes how difficult it is to convince anyone. And he even despairs over it. He's like, how am I ever going to convince anyone that this Night King is real? And he gets it. He's like, if someone told me this, I I wouldn't doubt it. And he's despairing over how hard it's going to be to convince anyone of it. And on Danny's side of things, I think she was a little impressed or at least surprised because she's never really encountered another, like, per- person in a top level, you know, a king or a queen or anyone who actually cares about her people, you know, or his people. John- Danny hasn't seen that yet. She's been the only one <laughs> that That's does. Yeah. You know, like, she thinks about Cersei and about her father and the things that she, you know, and the stories she's been told about some of the other leads. Like, she's been given the wrong impression about Ned Stark and about Robert Baratheon and all this. But Varys straight out told her that, that Robert wasn't interested in ruling, and that was true, right? And so... From her perspective, that's part of what fuels her. You know, some of it's entitlement, no doubt. But another, but from her perspective, Westeros hasn't had a good leader in a long time. And so that's part of her drive. She's like, I should do this because no one else is even is qualified because they're all jerks. They're all cruel. And I'm not cruel. And so John threw her off a little bit because she's like, hey, this guy's kind of got that attitude too. And I think, you know, you could see they started to respect that during the scenes.
1: I had another little thought here that you reminded me of. I wonder what Danny's perspective is of other leaders outside of Westeros, even, like the leaders in Karth, They seemed, to whatever extent, maybe they were good. They were also maybe arrogant, power-hungry, conniving. called Drogo. It was such a, what seemed to be presented as this beautiful romantic, you know, romance for the ages. But she tells Jon that she was raped. Mm-hmm. I wonder if her perspective on her relationship with Drogo has changed. I wonder if how much she's she feels, gotten, yeah, you know. She's gotten, yeah, she's kind of figured it out, yeah. Yeah. As but, a teenager, I mean, yeah, she didn't maybe have that perspective. Yeah. And, and how much, how good of a leader was he? Maybe he was a great warrior and even a great war leader, but he's got his people literally fighting each other to death and he rewards them by enabling rape, you know, like... That's you know what I mean. That's yeah. another one of her images of what a leader is. And That's a good point.
0: It was like basically one of her first encounters with like leadership out front like that because she did never really see her father in action. Not mm-hmm. not really. She totally didn't see him in action, and and any of that. So yeah. So her early experiences were in life were not dealing with kings and queens and leaders. She was you know hiding from. Uh, what she thought was, the, you know, Robert's assassins, which, you know, in retrospect, didn't actually happen. But uh, until, it, until it happened in the show <laughs> with Jorah. But before that, it didn't. Anyway, um, here's a question from Cabeth the Unfrozen, Lord of the Bricks, and Castle Crimson Light. How is Danny going to react when she learns that Jon Snow has a better claim to the Iron Throne than she does? Well, it's not entirely clear that he does, because, you know, there's still the whole he's a bastard argument. And that does, you know, arguably put him lower than her. But if if, if Rhaegar and Lyanna's marriage was official, well, how would you prove that it was? So it's hard to answer this question because I don't know that he does have a better claim. But let's assume he does. How would she react to that? Let's, well, quick,
1: let me ask. Among Targaryens, outside Targaryens and Dornish, the, the son, the male heir, gets it, right? But is that necessarily true for the Targaryens?
0: It, okay, the way it's would supposed to it Would a daughter
1: work? of the king have it higher than a grandson of the king? Well, here's the thing. It's tricky because in
0: history, there's never been a queen of Westeros until Cersei. But it was the, the law was supposed to be that because the Andal culture is the dominant one, and the Andals have had the male primogeniture for so long, but the law is supposed to be that it passes to any male before a female, but it doesn't not pass to the female ever. And John isn't technically in the family. He's a bastard. Bastards are always skipped over. Now, again, I'll repeat the thing, same thing I always say, which is that when there's a confusion among claims... The result isn't going to be decided by the legal scholars. It's going to be decided by swords, by blood and fire. That is what matters. When two people have a claim that... that isn't One isn't clearly greater than the other. And sometimes even when one is clearly better than the other, it still comes down to armies. So I think a lot of times when we, we we think about these legal claim things and they really don't matter that much. They're interesting. I'm, I'm curious about them. But ultimately, they don't matter that
1: much. They probably matter even less because I don't think John will want the throne anyway. He yeah. barely wants to be king of the north. He's just doing it for the sake of defeating the White Walkers.
0: That's a great point. Like, he's going to have to be told, you're the king, it's your responsibility. He's not going to be like, you're the king, do you want this? He'll be like, no. All right, we have... Almost 700 people watching now. Thanks very oh. much for tuning in, everybody. This is awesome. We love having so many all join us, and, and uh, it feels like a really big family here. <laughs> Did each of you
1: tell 10 people in this past week? Is that where <laughs> we're going to get there?
0: We're still pretty short on 6,000 for
1: our 24-hour stream, but hey, this is progress. <laughs> if we increase 100 each episode? No, that's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> One other quick note I wanted to make about, uh, about John. Oh, not just about John. The whole scenario with John trying to explain to people about this army of zombies yeah it's one thing for someone to believe it it's another for someone to realize what a problem it is does that make sense even if Tyrion's like yeah I believe it Tyrion might have this image in his head of like 13 white walkers droning along does that make sense or not even white walkers whites just like mindless zombies bumbling along oh that's really scary but we're not really worried about that right (laughs) John probably thinks a little differently of dra- Danny's dragons now than he did mm-hmm. the day before. In fact, he saw them. You're when you actually right. see it and how big they are. And there's three of them. And it's like, oh wow, the wonder dragons maybe. are no joke. Yeah. When someone actually sees these White Walkers, and that's another thing, I wonder if it might happen. Is someone from Danny's council maybe will come back with John for evidence? Mm. Does that make sense? or they maybe
0: will go with maybe Jorah. Yeah,
1: that's what I meant. Well, go, I meant go back from Dragonstone oh, to, to the to wall go to the north. Okay,
0: yeah. <laughs> someone someone a witness that she trusts and it won't be tearing yeah. experienced you
1: know not a military man Jorah would be a
0: perfect candidate yeah
1: especially given how fast people are traveling back and forth <laughs> I, I, I guess they would have to go from dragonstone to the wall and then at the wall not be able to send a raven go back to winterfell then send a raven they could do that in one episode right <laughs> <laughs> sure sure
0: another thing i really liked about the scene was was john's children shouldn't be blamed for the actions of their parents coming full circle, where Danny clearly has the same attitude. It's another thing for them to bond over and realize, okay, I like this. I like this person's attitude on that. And John had a good comeback. He's like, yeah, "Yeah, but the same applies to vows. Like, you know, if you're not responsible for for their actions, then you can't be responsible for their vows either. And this this is a really important thing for them to agree on. I think it's really, it can be easily, I don't think anyone missed this, but you may have missed the impact of them agreeing on this, because... This is an extremely progressive idea for Westeros. I mean, this is, like, my shirt, Blackwood. I'm wearing a Blackwood shirt. The Blackwoods are one of the best examples of a family that has not given up a grudge for thousands of years. I mean, they just, this is really not how Westeros works. Ancestral traditions are everything. Look at Tarly and, like, we have, this is Tarlys. We have, this is how we always are. You know, that's, there's a, it's all over the place. There must be a Stark in Winterfell. There's just all these traditions and they're, they're steeped in that. So Danny and John. Are really unique in that regard, and that, so that's the thing. It's something that's really important for them to bond over because it's such a rare quality, a rare attitude. Maybe Bob Dylan is a uh, a bard in Westeros. These <laughs> <as laughs> times are changing. <laughs> Tyrion echoes uh, their line a little later when he says, good thing none of us are like our fathers. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, that's important because Tyrion, in the, you know, in the books a bit, it's, it's talked about how is becoming more and more like Tywin the far he goes. But this is, he's not at all like Tywin these days. He is not. But Jamie is. More than that later. John also seems to respect her for trying to kill as few innocents as possible, even though we've talked about why that maybe is uh, misleading or misguided. Um, But he brought that up. He's like, the only reason I can see that you haven't just swooped in and crushed everyone is because you care too. You don't want to kill all those innocents. So that's yet another thing for them to bond over. And Denny, I think also, when she hears that John was elected, basically, that he didn't want it and that it seems to be true, I think she respects that too, because he's not ruling for ego, he's ruling for acclaim. And that's kind of like a, for her, that's like a, huh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> so really a lot to unpack about that scene. Um, and we're not done yet. <laughs> as far as the Night King goes, we talked about that a bit already, but Tyrion, I got a couple of quotes here. Tyrion says, it was nonsense. You know, it did seem like nonsense, but then Mormont saw them, and you saw them. And and to be fair, at that point, John hadn't seen them. And, you know, so like they were just saying, I believe they're real, but not from eyewitness accounts. It was just
1: their believing in it. I did see someone post uh, a clip from the first season, maybe even the first episode, when Jamie is talking to to John. And he's kind of prodding. He's kind of poking fun at him. He's like, yeah, good. Thanks so much for going up to the wall to help protect us from all the dark (laughs) monsters out there. Thanks for doing that, little John. (laughs) Yeah. Another quote of terms that I
0: like was people's minds are made to solve problems like this. It's almost are are not made to solve problems like this. (laughs) It's almost a relief to face a familiar monster like Cersei. And that's a great point. People just when we're confronted with something that doesn't fit in our reality, even in the real world, we struggle with it. We don't just like, oh, and change our entire life philosophy and what we believe in. And it just you can't just do that on a whim. You can't just do that on a turnaround. And that's one of the things Jon was despairing of. And he realizes how difficult this problem is. And like you said earlier... This is why they didn't want to bring up the fact that he's also been killed and brought back. Like, well, this is yet another like thing that I can't possibly convince somebody is true. Like, even if he shows them the scar, it's like, well, maybe that scar, maybe that's surface cut. A surface or, cut. Yeah.
1: Like, yeah, it's easy to explain that, so... It also becomes a distraction, having to explain that. Like, that, where does that get me? That isn't... That's not... I don't care yeah, about that. It doesn't
0: lead to the yeah. to, to defeating the Night King, necessarily. Oh,
1: you came back from the dead? Okay, I'll send you my army and my dragons. Yeah. You, why don't you tell me right that at the beginning, <laughs> you know?
0: Patron Roger Brault asked that same question. Why Why are they concealing this? And I think that's why. It's just too much. It's just too many things that are hard to believe. He also asked how they can keep this hidden. Well, it's going to be hard to keep that hidden because it's too... Especially from... If Danny sends like a representative or two north, there's no way that's not coming up. There's no way.
1: Again, I think it's also similar to what we said in the past about this difference in John and Danny or maybe other rulers. Is that He's not searching for ways to prove how great he is, mm-hmm. right? Yes. He, he doesn't attach everything he does to his... To his, you know, to the end of his name. It's not he's not trying to create a legacy for himself or whether. Like, I don't mean to be picking on Danny too much, but she does make this big show of this long title describing every event of her life connected to her name every time she gets introduced to introduce someone. John's like, I'm just John Snow. I, I, I guess I'm King of the North. I should let you know. You know, he's not trying to say, and I also of the wildly. Like Davos would do that for him. It's reminded me, by the way, of uh, one of the panels I did at Kind of Thrones. We were talking about sidekicks. One role the sidekicks have. Davos seems to be becoming John's sidekick. Is that a lot of times you have different personalities paired against each other. This sort of stoic, strong, silent one gets paired up with someone. Now, it's ironic because Davos is also kind of a stoic, strong, silent one. But someone has to speak for Jon. So, someone for John, Someone has to say the things that John won't say in order to let it be known who he is or whatever.
0: It might. Yeah, um, and I see a sham making a point in the chat that maybe... It would work better. It's not... John's uncomfortable with this, but maybe it would work a little better if he was a little more like, I'm Jon Snow, you know, son of... Like, if he presented himself the way she... Because that's the kind of thing she was used to. But maybe he's going to change her mind in the long run about this.
1: And you do see that in the real world. A lot of leaders do have this sort of, like, alpha, who, uh, outward attitude and a lot of times they're putting on a show when they go home to their families when they're drinking with their friends they're just a regular guy but they know they need to put on this front of being the the badass leader or whatever and i don't know if it's good or not for john to do that maybe it couldn't hurt especially you know know your audience euron seemed to shift his gears from when he's talking to his fellow ironborn than when he's talking to the queen in court you know
0: going back briefly to how hard it is to believe things believe the the thought of heart Danny brings that up she's like what were they talking about when they said, when he said he took a knife in the heart, and Tyrion's like, it's figure speech, because <laughs> yeah. they looked at each other when he said that too. Like, Dad, John looked at Dad and was like, uh-uh. and <laughs> Danny and Tyrion kind of looked at each other like, what? <laughs> and then other stuff happened, and they kind of came, you know, he came back to it later. And this came up when they were discussing the current strategic situation. Like, first Danny makes this threat, "You're in open rebellion," and then immediately virus walks in and is like, "All oh, your ships are gone." <laughs> and she's like. <laughs> Y'all take a bath and some food, and let me revise that threat, because now I got too many problems. I can't go fighting you right now. That is just, that's why it's an empty threat, because she certainly can't afford to go attack the North right now. And of course, things aren't going that way at all. It does not look, no one's predicting the North and, Dan, you're going to fight. No one that I would, no one that I believe, anyway. (laughs) And here's here's an interesting point you made, too. Um, Here's an interesting point you made about... How there's some juxtaposition here.
1: Yeah, I, wanted to, I said in the beginning I wanted to compare the difference between John and Danny and their rise to power. Another thing to compare is Danny's current position now compared to before. Up to this moment, she had this massive overwhelming army. She had basically three different land armies, a fleet, and an air force, right? Yes. And now she's lost two of the land armies <laughs> and the fleet. Yes. She's lost three fifths of her army, approximately, right? but her advisors were a translator a spy you know a captain you know <laughs> but now her advisors if she picks up John Davos and draw heads there she's now filling out the, the Yeah roles. doubling her yeah. military she more really than doubling that her military advisors but, but having lost more than half of her military so yeah. it's interesting to see if or how much better she'll be able to wield what she has left over
0: and Tyrion comes out and basically is you know he remember he comes out to brood and he has that another really funny line <laughs> that shows this show that, that gives the show a little self-awareness showing that it's like well you look so much better brooding than I do and it's been a thing forever John in his brooding he's like this handsome brooding guy you know he's like some Keanu Reeves or something and <laughs> I think they're kind of laughing at themselves for that, because
1: he is always brooding, you know, but he, not that he doesn't have good reason to. He's always, you know, He's got a hard life and a lot to handle. I thought the brooding, by the way, was a lot better. It makes for a good cinematic moment when he's in his cape on the cliff sides, but I thought it was very well placed when he's in the conversation with Danny in a throne room. Several times, he's kind of looking down. At one point, I, I thought it was really good. really good, subtle acting. He sort of, like, looks around the room, He's like realizing the stand that he's about to make, and it's controversial, maybe even dangerous, and you know, almost like he's checking to see who might throw a spear at him when he says, <laughs> no, I'm not here to bend the knee. Yeah. His face had a lot of brooding through that because he's recognizing what she's saying is right and fair. But what he's saying is right and fair, too. And, like, look, you you said all this stuff, and that's cool. But, look, I've got stuff to say, too. And I don't know how we're going to get past this. And you, you see the frustration welling in him. And It's clear that they both needed to understand each other better. And that's what Tyrion yeah. realized and started to facilitate. But that brooding I appreciate more because you get to see him say what he's brooding over, you know.
0: Yes, yes. Interestingly, too, she expresses... That her like, what's going to hurt my dragons? You know, what's going to do that? And they're like, well, it's not the dragons. We're worried about you. An arrow could kill you. And because she's clearly thinking more like, I got to get out there. Like, this isn't going well. And she hasn't even learned about Casted Rock yet. So... It sets off, it sets up the, the, and Tyrion says nothing, which I think is a little bit, I have a little problem with Tyrion not saying anything about that. Tyrion knows more about the history of dragons than anyone. He should know how dragons can be shot out of the sky. So I think that was a small problem there.
1: He might have not said it because, you know, he doesn't want to... He might bring it up later. Yeah. Right. It's not He's, too late. It's not too late. One, Dan, how's Danny going to respond if he says, she, is she going to be like, yeah, you're right, the dragons could get shot down. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's like, not my dragons, you know, <laughs> she'll... She'll be resistant to accepting this argument, but maybe later in private when she's more calm and he can give him better data.
0: That makes sense. And then it, then we, we, we go into, we people are asking, why doesn't she just get out there and do stuff? Why doesn't she scout the ships? Why did Euron sneak attack happen? Well, they actually explained that. It was a good one line of dialogue thing. They're like, no, you can't risk yourself. One arrow to you, to you. And that's it. We're all doomed, you know. And I, I, that's that's I'm fine with that. I think that's a good good uh, exception. But I do think she's going to stop listening to that advice. It does seem like she could have some scout ships though. Something. <laughs> I, that's that's true. Although that's on her sub commanders. That's not that's a, that's a lesser lower level decision true. than hers. Like she doesn't even Sansa would have done that if she was there. Sansa, Sansa. would have done that. That's right. <laughs> So more on that on the live stream Saturday, because there's some some clues in the trailer as to what's coming next, not just on whether she's gonna risk herself or not, but just more about Danny's military situation. In the meantime, it really does seem or, or rather on that same vein, it really does seem like Olenna was right, even though for maybe for the wrong reasons, but Olenna was right. Meaning that Danny's gonna have to be a drag, because this is not working. She listened to He's listening to the clever men, and the clever things aren't working.
1: <laughs> there's other clever men out there, also. We are now over and women. 700. Yes, yes. We are now Cersei's over seven hundred
0: live viewers. That is awesome. Thank you very much, everybody, for being with us, and we love you all. Two thumbs up. Only I only had one thumb up with him holding a mouse, but there's the other one. <laughs> okay. So you you noticed that uh, uh Dothraki, the same was that uh, is that confirmed?
1: I gotta give credit, I think it was Kim Renfro, our friend Kim Renfro pointed out that that's the same Dothraki, uh, when they found Dan in the middle of that field, when her dragon was hurt, mm-hmm. and suddenly this Dothraki horde shows up, later on Jorah like finds the ring and knows how to track it down, but, but when that horde is taking her to their call, that guy on horseback, that had her mm. and the comments he made, you know, I, I can't remember the details of that conversation, I just remember that it was humorous. That's the same guy that now is like escorting John around, took John's sword. Koho. Koho, okay. I think. Cool.
0: All right, that's neat. And this is this is hopeful. I have this is a seed of hope here because we talked about how there's no Dithraki perspective, and that would be nice because they're in a foreign land with their, you know, they're on an island. Like this is so different for them. They're on guard duty. Like none of this is familiar to them. I mean, maybe the guard duty is somewhat familiar, but like they're just way
1: out of their element. And I, I'm really looking forward to again John staying here for an episode or two down in those mines, getting to the dragon glass interacting with the dothraki i think we got some great scenes coming i hope <laughs> it was like you've noticed my district's like they're hard to miss
0: yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was a good line more of danny's military the end is alive as predicted he gets pulled out of the sea he's shamed by his fellow ironborn which was kind of expected you know we don't shame him and yara doesn't shame him but it's expected that they would have a you know more hardline stance here and a lot of you have that stance too and that's your call you got to be
1: alive to shame or be shamed <laughs> That's true. Dead and shamed, or dead alive and shamed is better than dead, in my book.
0: Now, this also, it may have been that ship pulling up that Varys noticed, even though those scenes weren't in that order. Either way, I expect Theon will make his way back to Dragonstone, I guess. Maybe not. Where else would he go? He can't go back to the Iron Islands. That's that's hostile to him. That's still under Euron's control. I guess there's a chance he goes back there for some other reason, but I really don't think so. So if he goes back to Dragonstone, maybe Jon sees him. Now... That if if you uh, think about it, that shouldn't be problematic because John has talked to Sansa. John knows that that Theon saved Sansa, and he knows that Bran and Rickon were alive from that. Now he knows that Rickon's dead. By the way, that's why there's some confusion on the two brothers versus three comment. That's why he mm-hmm. knows from multiple sources. It's not just Sansa. Just the fact that Rickon was killed proves that Theon was lying about killing Bran and Rickon. You know, but he's also heard it for, directly from Sansa. Who told it from Theon because they had their time together. So there's that a lot sense. of ways for John to know this. This is all. This is this is all good. So we'll have to wait and see on Theon because that was a real brief scene of him rescued. wasn't wasn't much to say. We don't even know where he's going. Presumably Dragonstone again, but we'll have to see. So that's kind of. I will
1: point. say it didn't occur to me. It didn't even occur to me that John and Theon is another thing we haven't seen since season one, and it would be interesting to see their interactions with each other. Yeah. How much Theon might, even if on some level he's redeemed himself, which I'm sure people would argue about left and right he still would feel the need to apologize to Jon, I imagine.
0: Yeah. Okay, so Varus and Melisandre. That was another cool side conversation, another scene here. A very meaningful moment, a lot to unpack here. Again, a lot happened on Dragonstone this episode. First of all, he comes up with that taste of power comment. You, you have some thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, when he said that, I think it's easy to think that, oh yeah, Varus has gotten a taste of power and now he's hungry for more. I don't know if I quite buy that, though. I think that was him throwing out something... For Melisandre to latch onto so that he would know, yep, she's hungry for power. He doesn't yeah. He threw it out there and she didn't latch onto it. So I think on some level he like gained a little bit of respect for her in that moment. He,
0: she certainly left him speechless, which is hard to do. That's yeah. Varis, after all, one of the best talkers in the entire series. But yeah, he, it didn't go like he thought. Like he definitely has preconceived notions. He hates red priests and magic users and all that. You can see it kinda come out a little bit before, but he kinda he kept it under control, but it came out just a little bit when mm-hmm. he was like, She serves Dennis, you know, and, and then he's like we forgave you for serving the wrong king. He's like, yeah, right, got
1: me. And yeah, it didn't go how he thought it would. Real quick, I want to make a comparison I don't think I made before. In the same way that Varus usually is so calculating and intelligent and has it together, but in that moment kind of lost it a little, maybe said something, and if he had thought of ahead of time, he would have known the rebuttal for it. would have known he shouldn't have said that. But in a sort of emotional moment, he said it anyway. Can't help but compare that to Littlefinger, who probably shouldn't say something about loving Sansa, but in an emotional moment he slipped up and said that anyway, and kind of got put in check for it, just mm-hmm. like Varys did. That's true. Now another thought I have on this that I've I've avoided thinking about too much, but the seed's been planted in my head, and I can't stop thinking about it. A lot of people out there think that Varys is some sort of a spy, that he is maybe betraying Danny. Maybe that's how Euron found out about the fleet. It hey, would
0: explain a few things.
1: And I will say, at the end of that conversation, the way Melisandre said just like you you know you're talking about dying in this this
0: strange country yeah yeah. varus
1: seemed to take that as a threat and maybe it's because it was some sort of a threat maybe he's recognized she has real power her prophecies or something to believe in Even if he doesn't like or believe it but maybe it's because he is up to something and he's worried she's on to him you know it's it's dawning on me that that
0: is an episode that is a theme of this episode is people's preconceived notions being torn down you know varus about melisandre he's wrong about melisandre Danny and John were wrong about each other in a lot of ways, based on what they've been told ahead of time. Tyrion's understanding of a lot of things was wrong, like his understanding of some of the strategic elements. A lot of that. Melisandre and devaris D'Varis, her perceptions of things were wrong. Absolutely. So that's cool. That's, that's a good little theme there. What else? Okay, so Mel says she's going back to Volantis. Now, personally, most of my thoughts on why she's going back to Volantis are going to come in the Book to Show top subject. so I'm going to save a lot of that. But obviously, whatever you have to say, we should cover that. But... I will say that I kind of doubt that Kinvara is going to come. I know people are wondering if we'll see her again. Due to the law of conservation of characters, I'm guessing that whatever, if when Melisandre comes back, she's not going to bring a bunch of known Red Priests with her. But you know, I don't have a super lot of confidence in it. But I lean towards that. Kinvara, she was, a, you know, she's a known actress. I think that was just her one-off.
1: I can imagine a couple things. I can imagine Melisandra comes back and just talks about conversations or visions she had there. I can imagine she comes back with Canvara. I can imagine she comes back with an army that the Red Priests have raised to help turn this battle, especially if we build up to some sort of climactic ice versus fire thing in the north, not even till next season we might not see Melisandre again. We might get a scene of Melisandre and Volantis talking to Canvara, which might include a vision or a prophecy or something. Again, this is like chess pieces on a board. It's hard to predict that many moves ahead. <laughs> I, I have this sort of hope that Kinvara will come back into play because I think she was an intriguing character, so I'd like, I'd like intriguing characters to stick around. I think Melisandre's an intriguing character, so i like to see her stick around, interacting with other intriguing characters, and because I also, I, I strongly believe that there's this large undertone of the gods underneath the happenings of man, and it, it's a song of, fi- of ice and fire, and I think that this will be a good way to kind of reinforce and bring things to a head down the road.
0: Cool. Well said. Um, one question here from Desolation Row. Good question. Why didn't Tyrion find it at all? Curious that Jon had deserted the night Watch. Well, that might come up, and I think that might be how they weasel out the truth of Jon dying, because that's how he get, got out of his vows, by dying and then coming back, and that's that's the technical reason that he was able to do that. So he's not deserting the Night's Watch. I think it just hasn't occurred to him yet. Maybe it'll be like, you know what? Wait a minute. Don't they take vows for life? What? How is... Yeah, you'd think maybe that would have been mentioned by now, but I don't mind that it wasn't because there's so many things to cover, and I think it will come up. I mean, John didn't even get like a close-up with the dragon. That's another thing we were hoping for, but he, like you said, he's still there. He didn't leave, so there's a lot more can happen in the next episode with regards to that and these other things that haven't been brought up yet.
1: I can also imagine it might have come up in a conversation off-screen. They had a long walk <clears throat> along that uh, that walkway to get up to actual Dragonstone, and. We heard him announce a bunch of other things John had united the wildlings and so on and so on. So maybe connected to that, Tyrion might understand or be told, like, look, things have changed, normally the vowels, but everyone at the wall agreed the wildlings are part of it now. You don't know what's going on, man. That's why we're here. You know?
0: <laughs> I see a lot of people saying that I look like a garden gnome with this hat on. I don't know if that's what I was going for, but, you know, I'll be Tyrion. If, if I'm a garden gnome, <laughs> I'm a garden gnome. <laughs>
1: That's a wolf hat, not a Lannister hat, not a (laughs) lion hat. This is trying to make me look fierce. It doesn't work. (laughs) All right. Well,
0: any more questions about Dragonstone? Fire them off if you have them. If you have a super chat, we'll come back to it. Shea is looking for questions that we need to handle now. Some of them we'll save for the Book to Show. By the way, the Book to Show episode is going to be Wednesday, not on Tuesday. A little more time for us to think about it. So that's cool. And all right, let's move on to the Citadel. The Citadel short it was a little shorter this time. I was a little disappointed in how the grayscale plot ended. Uh, I mean, maybe it hasn't ended, but it seems like it has. But I don't mind it too much because I think we maybe just missed the point of it. I mean, I definitely was like, ah, that didn't amount to much at all. So I'm guessing the point was Sam and Jorah coming together. That's what's going to matter in the long run. Sam and Jorah, like Jorah's going to stand for sam at some point like yeah i vouch for what he's saying he if he read it in a book it says it's true i believe him because that's why i'm here because of what he read in a book
1: like that kind of thing that's my that's my best guess you got any other takes well there's a few other things i think happen here sam has now i don't know how to say this but proven himself to ebros yeah and it seems almost like a punishment he's being given like all right i need you to to rescribe all these books. But maybe there's something in those books he wants to share with them. Maybe these are books normally Sam wouldn't get to read. Mm-hmm. And this is his way of getting around the rules of the Citadel to give Sam some secret information.
0: That's clever. Either way, I expect that something will come out of those things. That yeah. busy work is going to turn into something important is going to come from that busy work. I think I think we. Uh, I think
1: a lot of people caught that, that thread, and I totally agree with it. I do see some legitimate complaints about how How quickly they're like, oh wow, looks like you're fine. Go ahead, you're free. You know, and I think they almost trapped themselves into that when they said, but I'll give you till tomorrow since you're a knight or whatever. You know, like, I think if that had been, I can even in my mind stretch out how maybe the next day when he came. He saw he had made significant, like he was like, what's going okay, I'll give you another day. And maybe maybe Sam went back every night for three or four nights in a row and they kept it secret and yeah. the, the, the maester had to keep, well, I'll wait another day, I'm suspicious something is up, you know. Maybe yeah. it wasn't just over twenty-four hours like they showed it. I wish they could have given us another line of dialogue or another scene to demonstrate that better. But like a lot of things along this line, I understand how and why they do it just to progress the plot. They could have made this happen in a way that would make more sense. And it would have taken a whole bunch of more scenes that part of me wants to say they don't have the time for. Doggone it. They do have the time for it. They could have had 10 episodes. (laughs) (laughs) We're all going to complain about wanting more material. And this is one of the reasons why we want more material so they can flesh scenes like this out. And I understand that they're not morons. They must know some problems with the scene. But there's just timing and budgetary constraints. They get across what's important. I can accept this and move on.
0: Yeah. Ian Glenn's acting was fantastic. That look on his face when Sam offered him simple human contact, something that he hasn't, that he thought he would never have again. That is super meaningful. in Ian Glenn's face, which Ashay is going to pull up for, uh, still doesn't capture it all, but I want to remind you of it. Go back and look at it. His, just the, the, He transmitted it so well, and I thought that really helped save the scene for me. Because, yeah, I was disappointed with some of the resolution of it. But that really helped. And it goes to show that, yeah, even if the writing is bad in a scene, if the the acting can save it or at least make it, you know, well, that was bad, but that was good. You know, or at least, you know, and I think that happened here. So, not great writing, great acting. And I, like Stannis, we can criticize one and praise the other. And there you go. Anyway, all right. So... Our, we had another prediction here that team seemed up to fail. Uh, we thought that maybe Sam would give Heart'sbane to Jorah, but that was a parting. They were parting. They're, it seemed like it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe later. Maybe way down the line. But it didn't happen in the short term, and that means it's probably a lot less likely to happen at all. It, it's not to, it's, the, the theory percentage isn't down to zero, but it's it got reduced to tiny, to almost
1: almost not. By the way, if the Charlie's role in the war, at least in the short term. Maybe that's up. Maybe now maybe maybe now, Dickon gets sent to Old Town and to pick that sword back up, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, now that they've <laughs> cleared out Olena, yeah. they can... Uh... They had to make this Trent to see the queen. Now after seeing the queen, now we have to make this siege on Highgarden. Now Highgarden's taken. I could see Randall saying, all right, Dickon, go down to Old Town and get my sword back, you know.
0: We have a question from Glowing Girl. Danny will need a maester eventually. Yes, absolutely. She doesn't have one yet. You know, we always figured that Sam would go and be the maester back at the wall. I don't suppose he'll be Danny's maester instead. It's got to be possible, though. And, yeah, I don't know who else it might be. There's not, like, a lot of named maesters or anything. Question from Brandy Mondato here. What do we think the show is trying to say with the cure being so easy? The Citadel is hiding information from the general public? Sam is just really good at following directions? I don't know. I think that, like, a lot of people saying it might have just been kind of not great writing. Um, But... If we want to be generous and and try to look for other reasons, it might just be. I think they might be setting up Sam as um, more intelligent, like a, a cut above. Maybe he's just a little smarter. Maybe he's in, you know uh, a natural, you know, at a lot of these things. And but I don't think it's the Citadel hiding things. I don't think it's that. Oh, that's certainly a, a reasonable guess because there's certain book topics that you know, go that way. And I will have more to say about this in the book to show. Cause I don't think grayscale is going to go nearly this easy in the show, but I'll save in some of that for the book to show, or sorry, in the book. So in the, in the book to show episode, I'll have more to say about that. And maybe lady Gwynn and, and Shea and uh yoke Boy may as well.
1: I can also imagine drawer might contend with you about how easy it was. And I can also <laughs> imagine that maybe it's, um, Sam did a better job of piecing together information from different books about how to do the procedure that other maesters haven't put together Also, maybe it hasn't been a priority. Like, there's probably a lot of different diseases and a lot of different endeavors and healing arts and so Mm. on and so on that are being focused on. And this one hasn't been a problem for a while. And so they haven't focused on it recently, and now here comes Sam focusing on it when the other maces are focusing on other things like alcohol, liver disease, or something like that. You know, maybe that's a more pressing I- issue for Ebros, is liver disease, because there's so much drinking, and that's where his focuses and other maces focuses have been. But here comes Sam digging up this old thing that people haven't worried about in a long time, and hey, he figured something out. Well, maybe, we- I was going to say, maybe we should have looked at this, but... Maybe we shouldn't looked at this because it doesn't really matter. It's not anything we're worried about right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, because they yeah uh, they were it wasn't a big problem. I see um uh, aren't dog or am dog. I don't know how to say this suggests that Sam maybe has hands like a surgeon. Sure, mm-hmm. maybe he's yeah. Like I said,
1: he, some of the implication here is that he's just really talented. You gain a steady hand on the wall, not working <laughs> at Old Town. <laughs> <laughs> Get a
0: steady hand if your hands are made of stone. Oh, <laughs> that's pretty good. Okay, so that's probably all we have to say about the Citadel. Seems like uh, we'll be seeing Jorah pop up at Dragonstone at some point. Um, maybe not enough, Maybe not enough for an episode or two. That's going to be up to them to decide <laughs> when <laughs> he goes there. Now nah, they may they'll have to wait on how they decide to write this. So, okay. So we're, we, we'll probably go over two hours as we often do, but we'll call this the halfway point in terms of doing some shout-outs as we often do. So let's start off, or let's rather not start off, but let's do a shout-out for our Northern champions. That includes Jay Wilson, Winter's King. Sir Stephen the Hammer of the North, Winter's King, Lord of the First Men, Lady Ar- Ardross Mother of Wolves, Sir Daniel the Sneaky Russian, Sir Brian the Returned, Knight of the Last House, Wielder of the Valyrian Steel blade Red Song, Sir Kobe of House Stonesmith, Words are Wind, Deeds are Stone. Now, we announced recently that we had some new patron levels. We had a Queen's Guard, a Queen's Council, a Hand of the Beard, a Queen... Queen's High Council, my very sorry I said that wrong. Beard Guard and all these other things. Well, the Queens Guard is full. There's still slots in the Beard Guard, there's still slots in all the other ones, but the Queens Guard filled really
1: fast, so thanks y'all for that. That's really cool. We'll get you some shout-outs soon from a Shea. Shea, it's the Queen's High Council. Is it the Queen's Guard or the Queen's High Guard? <laughs> we should <laughs> change it to the Queen's High Guard, I suppose, but currently it's the Queen's Queens Guard.
0: <laughs> Good point, Sean. <laughs> Okay, so let us move on after that uh, brief
1: interruption. I want to clarify something. I've seen some questions. Yes, I can dance, dog on it, and I love to dance. It's true. This is maybe not
0: the best. <laughs> we don't have room for it, but one day we'll get you all some footage. In the six-hour stream, I promise. Yeah, in a six-hour. 24-hour. 24-hour stream. That would definitely happen. People who went to Con of Thrones saw Sean dance. That's right. At least some people did. There are some witnesses out there. This dude can do a handstands and everything. It's no joke. All right, let us move on to King's Landing. So we'll start with Euron's Triumph. He really played up the moment. You know, this is pretty cool. People che- He points out, the, ah, people cheering for a Greyjoy, you know, and that's just, that was kind of a, a nice thing to point out because it's true. That's, has that ever happened? <laughs> you know? Outside the Iron Islands. Yeah, yeah, exactly, outside of the Iron Islands. And he brings up, it's like, I'm, ah, it must be nice to have the love of people. Something you wouldn't understand, Jamie. <laughs> and Jamie should have just, Said nothing, because any time he opens his (laughs) mouth, Euron just wins. (laughs) Like, they just love... You know, it's like, oh, it could be your head on a spike. He's like, or mine. He's like, or yours. They just love severed heads, really. Like,
1: oh, that was so good. He just owns him with the dialogue there. Really well done. It was a good point Jamie made, is it wasn't long ago that Cersei was being prayed through the streets, you know, and and having things thrown at her. So Euron could go through the streets being praised now. He'd go through the streets having stuff thrown at him later. But Euron's like, yeah, I know. That's how it works. Yeah. Don't you? Like, didn't you? Are you
0: just now figuring that? Because I knew that already. That's kind of what I got from that. (laughs) Well, Jamie made a good point. Euron had like three more good points raring to go. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about this triumph. He brings in... The three, and as we predicted, the two, the Sand Snake and ilaria were the gift, and he kept Yara for himself. He brought her in to march her in there to show it, but he kept her. He didn't offer her, and then he marked her right back out. So that that went pretty much how we thought. Looks like we have a super chat. Super chat from The Snow and Winterfell. Hey, Mark, thanks for that. Great show as always. Got to put the kids to bed. Be back later is possible. My mom, nominations for Best Lines, John to Tyrion. She's starting to let on about Santa and does she like a finger in the bum from Europe? (laughs) The way his eyes got so big when he said that and the way Jamie had another of his like, I can't believe he's,
1: what do I do? What do I say to that? You know, (laughs) he just, again, I feel bad for not being able to give proper credit but someone tweeted, Jamie's teeth must be ground to a stone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's putting Stannis to shame. Stannis and his teeth grinding is a major factor in the books. It's yeah. brought up a lot that you don't really
0: see it in the show because it's hard to show that, you know. Jamie's showing it. <laughs> but Jamie was, yeah. Jamie, they gave Stannis' teeth grinding to, to Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, we talked about how a lot of times they fool us with those, you know, the words they give out. The trailer spiel, The Cersei returns a gift. They definitely played with the wording this time because. It really wasn't returning a gift. It's more like returning the favor, you know, like she gave the same gift, but Marcella wasn't given a gift. Unless you well, maybe the House of Black and White would call it the call it a gift. A yeah, gift yeah. of mercy. But I don't think Marcella was in need of mercy at the time. Anyway, that quibble aside <laughs> it was neat because I noticed the lipstick. I noticed her odd shade of lipstick, but it did not connect the dots until it Happened, and at that point, everyone knows what's happening. So that was cool. That was another good example of it, the answer was right in front of us, but I totally missed it. Partly because of the intensity of the scene, and Lena Headey was just killing it with her acting yeah. there, too. So
1: was Alaria. Yeah, yeah. The scene—it it didn't take that long, but it was still sort of fun for me. Like when when the scene starts and Cersei has lipstick on. I remember my mind thinking, "Cersei's wearing some lipstick. That's that's a new thing." yeah That thought it was in my mind, and someone in the room with us watching it said out loud. What's up with Cersei's lipstick? And right at that moment, was like, oh, "She's gonna poison Jaime. She's gonna poison her." Own. That's so cool. That was that was sneaky. It's neat how when someone says something out loud, how much a thought can just instantly be clarified in your mind. Yeah. yeah.
0: So that was really cool the way they came together, and it was it was harsh. It was brutal, and you know, like you made a good point here about Tyrion telling John to accept
1: who he is. Right. Yeah, that's right. The, uh, the in in the later scene. When Jamie and Cersei are together, and there's a knock on her door, and Jamie's like, "Don't." And Cersei just gives no f's, just instantly, <laughs> just like, "I'm just gonna go get the door." And probably she even got dressed for it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and Jamie like is aghast. One, my thought was, Tyrion told John, like, "Look, you're a bastard. You're a bastard. If you're embarrassed by it, people will take advantage of you for that. If you just own it, no one can make you feel bad over. It. Just own it." And I think that's where Cersei's at. She's like, "This thing has been like a shame for them." Where in her mind, at least, it should be like this point of pride or this defining part of her life and her emotions and everything else is this relationship. And she's always had to hide it. And she's largely had to hide it from her father and from the other powers that be. Well, now the other powers that be have been defeated and her father is gone. Like, what is she worried about? You know, And not to say that there isn't nothing to worry about or that she shouldn't still try to hide it. But I can see where she's at. Tyrion would see where she's at. Jamie doesn't necessarily. Who knows what will come of this, but I I just thought it was a a neat evolution and and parallel.
0: I'm going to have more to say about the evolution of these two characters as well, but just to point out for right now, Cersei's always been, you know, the queen or the queen regent or the Queen Mother, but she's never been the Queen, and that is really different. She's always had someone else above her, someone else she's had to either argue with, or fight, or push to get what she wanted. Now, all that's removed. She can say whatever, she can do what she wants, she can do it all, and that's pretty cool. And that leads into this next bit, which we've been saying, we're not nearly the only ones that are saying this, but Cersei's becoming the Mad Queen a bit, and this way that she handles the gift to... Uh, Ilaria and Tyene is absolutely shades of the Mad King, absolutely shades of Rickard and Brandon, something that we predicted. But this whole thing about her not caring about who knows about the incest and that she's with her brother, that ties into that. She's like, I've got all this power. What can happen to me? She's a little bit drunk on power. And remember that this comes right after the torture scene, right after she leaves, she immediately goes and has sex with Jamie. And that is exactly from the books. Well, not exactly, but Ares, when he burns his hand, well, one of his hands, not his hand hand, his hand of the king, his latest hand of the king at that point, he immediately goes upstairs and has really rough sex with his wife. He's basically raping her. Not basically. He's raping her. He's hurting her. And is standing on guard outside going, what do we do? And this fellow Kingsguard is like, we, yes, we took a pledge to protect her, but not from him. So I have more to say about that on the book to show, but it's, that's also when Danny was conceived, most likely. So, that's <laughs> just a little side tidbit there. But it's so similar. Like, she murders people or sets them up for this horrible cruelty, and then immediately is like, she's turned on by that.
1: It's also worth noting on some level, she might recognize she needs to repair some damage with Jamie because she also just told Euron that she'd marry him. So. Yes,
0: and that made a big difference because Jamie did, you know, it kind of did bring her. He was no. He was, he was like, no. And as a bit of self awareness, they may have been. Harkening back to Jamie forcing himself on her in the sept, right? And this was different, but it was similar. And
1: so that's interesting. But she did even physically Remove his hand. <laughs> like a, yeah, she specifically—I don't know how to say this—but physically disabled him, forced herself on him. Now, to be it.
0: fair, it's harder for somebody when you're the weaker one. Like Jamie could—if could, he wanted to—he could overpower. her. He's stronger, but still, there was there wasn't consent there, and he, you know, she had at her least way. not at first. Not at first. Yeah, he he yielded, which to might it. be
1: argued with Jamie and Cersei. Yes, in the that's set, but... that's
0: very true. But it, the bottom line is, it had an, a positive, quote unquote, positive impact on Jamie's attitude towards Cersei. It seemed to kind of. Heal a lot of the damage, especially later, as you hear with Olenna scene, which we'll certainly get to, but I'll, I'll bring up a little bit of that now, which is that Olenna just kind of realizes you're just in love with her. Like, you just aren't seeing this clearly. And that's important to keep in mind that, yeah, why does Jamie do that? Why does Jamie do that? He's not seeing it clearly. He's super biased towards Cersei. He flat out says to Elena once she kills all her enemies... No one's going to quibble over how she made the realm peaceful he thinks this has a good ending he thinks this will end in a good realm you know he's
1: if he were really to think about it he might realize how stupid he is but it's just shows how much he's in love with his sister people do that in general there's a lot of times you're on a course especially when it's connected to a, a, a relationship especially a romantic relationship that it's hard to veer from you've sold yourself on it already you've told yourself a bunch of lies Even on some level, if you recognize the issues with it. Let's say that he was actively aware that he's biased because he's in love with her. That she's done these terrible things. The plan maybe isn't that good. So, let's say he comes to these realizations. And so, he decides what? Mm -hmm. What am I supposed to do? Kill her? Run away? Join Dan? Even other things he's supposed to do are very difficult. And both emotionally and physically for him to do. And and hard to plot out. Et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's... doesn't mean he's doing the right thing but it does i am pointing out that he might not realize i mean he might realize that he's not doing the right thing but hasn't figured out what the right thing is does that make sense and so until then he's going to justify this and keep on his current course which isn't like some weird crazy thing about jamie that's what people do you know
0: true that we have a question from jay beach do you think Alaria will exit the cell at some point but it is not the same driven mad by watching her daughter rot well Um, no, but I I gotta say, the reason I think no is because Indira Varma confirmed that's the end of her arc. So, I mean, I was thinking maybe, like, when, if King's Landing is eventually liberated, they'd find her down there and she'd still be alive. But I guess they're not gonna do that. Maybe they Maybe they're just gonna give her that cameo and she's not aware that they're gonna hire her for that. But it sounds like she's just done. Even if she's alive... Maybe she's just mentally broken after this experience. I wouldn't I wouldn't put I mean that seems like a reasonable thing. Like it's what a horrible not that she didn't do horrible things herself, but this is pretty horrible this is a pretty horrible end and it would have, you know, a permanent impact on her psyche being forcing to seeing her daughter slowly rot away, which I see someone pointing out in the chat. A pretty good astute observation that Cersei points out that she can't sleep and she's just seeing this stuff in her head. Well, Cersei's like, you're gonna see this stuff. Straight up, not just in your head. It's going to be right in front of you. And that's, uh, yeah, that's that's Cersei being Cersei. <laughs> and we have um another, I want to give a little hat tip to Joanna Robinson of Vanity Fair. That serving girl that comes to knock on the door... Two things about that. One, that this is what Joanna caught, was that is the same serving girl. We've seen her before. So, but she had longer hair. So a different haircuts. So yeah. apparently that haircut is all vogue now at the Red Keep. All the women in the Red Keep are cutting their hair like
1: Cersei. <laughs> nice catch. Nice catch. I've seen a lot of people online comparing her to a Romulan woman. <laughs> and I have given... Uh, and, and, and Cersei's haircut is being called the Cersei. And I'm nicknaming oh. Cersei Blonde Rom.
0: Okay, so apparently it was Acoustic Noise Machine who uh, made the connection between the nightmares and Ilaria's deaths, or Ilaria's punishments. So that, good catch there, very good catch. And also, but back to the Serving Girl. Anytime you see a Serving Girl get a line, it sends up alarm bells for Arya. Like, obviously that's not Arya right now, mm. but this could be what we're getting set up for. Like, if, this, if we see the Serving Girl again... I'm going to be like 99% that Arya is going to eventually take that servant girl's place and kill Cersei. I don't think that's anytime soon, though. Uh, Cersei's got a lot more to do in the short term and maybe even the long term. Although there isn't really a long
1: term. Arya is also <laughs> heading in different directions, but...
0: Yeah. Now, there's a still more here. We have the Iron Bank. Iron Banker is very coy here. He doesn't commit to anything. He, and this is And this is a big point of contention for a lot of people, the whole issue of slavery and Braavos. Okay, so in the books, Bra- Braavos is very anti-slavery. It's how they were founded and the Iron Bank holds those ideals. Okay, two things about that. One, it was not actually confirmed in this episode that the Iron Bank is deep in slavery. Cersei brings it up like, oh, y'all were hurt by the slave trade tech going down, huh? And he's like, it was, you know, it did take a hit. He didn't confirm at all that they had their finger in it. However, even if they do, I don't have a problem with it. The idea that a a long-standing institution would lose its ideals over profit motive is totally in line with reality of real world or Westeros. And even if he wasn't committing to the slave trade, which I think he wasn't, the economy, the the downturn in the economy would impact them regardless of whether they have direct investments in the slave trade. So this is, she's right, even if she's not directly right, that the slave trade, losing it hurts them. And so you, you don't have to assume that they're definitely dealing in the slave trade. So I think that's an important thing to clear up. A lot of people are kind of upset with how they handled that. And I was jarring, no doubt. But I think, you know, upon reflection, it totally fits. I have zero problem with it.
1: It's also possible that, however right or wrong she is, that this character is humoring her. Yes. He doesn't necessarily want to squabble over the details of some minor percentage of their overall profits, whatever, whatever. Look, where's my money? He wants the the best deal possible because he he feels like, obviously, what's going to happen is if she pays him back, which it
0: looks like she might, they're going to continue to support her. Because she's proved, it's like proof of concept. It's like, okay, you have, a, this is a solid investment. you know, And that's mm-hmm. kind of what they brought up. So I think that's kind of the way it's heading. And he multiple times brings up how she's kind of like her father. And that was kind of a way to flatter. but and, then, and that's true in a lot of ways. But really, so is Jamie. Jamie, you know, really channeled a lot of his father there. And that's what we'll talk about shortly. Um, in fact, it's pretty clear that this Iron Bank plot is going to continue to matter a bit. I don't know where it's going. I don't know how it's going to end. But it's not over. <laughs> and it was at the time it was really jarring, right? She she says, oh, I'll have you paid back in a fortnight. we're like, What? How is, That's pretty quick. That can't be true. He, she's just saying that. She's just saying that. But no, apparently she was totally right. Especially <laughs>
1: after the line of John asking Danny, "Am I your prisoner?" And Danny's like, "Not yet." I wonder is Tycho going to become Cersei's prisoner? But it seems <laughs> like he's, she's just going to pay him back.
0: Yeah, because that would be a boy. That'd be a bad move if she were to do anything. <laughs> just Tycho? Yeah, the bank is just too powerful. She does not need that enemy. Also. Okay, so that, but that's, um, so so yeah, that's a developing plot point. They're going to have to get the loot back to King's Landing that they just got from Highgarden. So let's, we can move on to that, but we'll also discuss it more on Saturday because there seems to be some things to learn from the trailers and stuff about how that may or may not go. Let's talk about Casterly Rock. Let's We got an image of Casterly Rock here that looks pretty cool. Not exactly what we pictured, but it looks cool. And we talked about how something was... Strange with the way this scene was being set up, the fact that there were not characters that had a lot of tension around them. It was only Grey Worm. It was all these like, who else is going to be there that we know? And so we 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 figured out that there was something off here, and we also figured out like you you guessed like something tricky is going to happen here. And I guessed that the Unsullied would be off the table either way. Like they're going to be out of action for a while, if not even if they win. And we didn't understand what was going to happen. But we got that much right. We
1: did not predict how at all. That was a total surprise. In I fact, did, I did make the guess that Euron would destroy the fleet and trap them there. You did. You did. But I didn't. True. I didn't think that it would be connected to them moving on High Garden. And also, even in the show now it's not, I don't know if trapped is the right word. You know, they, uh, there's, they are trapped basically because I mean, Jamie yeah. said they took all the food. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I mean, yeah, they can so leave. They, they just can't, just can't stay there, right? And they have to give they, it up. They can leave. They can't hold it, right? And but not just that, they can't sail back. They have to march back, right? right. So right. they're effectively removed. You know.
0: Yes, that's huge because there's two major historical references here that I really enjoy. I always get a tickle out of out of major historical references. First of all, though, the line in the teaser that's Jamie learned from his mistakes. That's what we said was the most confusing, and we couldn't we couldn't figure it out because there's so many mistakes we could have think. We did not think of the Whispering Wood. We didn't even consider that one. So good job, show. You fooled us well. So this is what, what two things here. We've seen that Home was a lot like the Battle of Dunkirk. The Battle of Bastards had a lot in common with Cannae. And this is Jamie using the Fabian strategy. The Fabian strategy was one of the Roman consuls, his way of dealing with Hannibal. The thing was, in the war against Hannibal, Carthage, they kept facing him in the field and he kept winning. So Fabian's like, let's not face him in the field. Let's just run him around, you know, take away his food take away his bases, not fight him. Just, just just win via attrition. Don't go head up against them. That strategy makes a, a ton of sense against the best infantry on the planet, right? Just don't fight them. Just stay away. If you're going to fight them, do it when you have walls, <laughs> defenses, <laughs> and you can shoot them from a distance and all that. And so they did bleed the Unsullied sum. And so that's really cool. And this leads us to another connection I grabbed a... uh, Let's see, I think... Yeah, Charles Dunkley, Twitter user, suggests that what's going to happen with the Unsullied next is a lot like Xenophon's Anabasis, the Greek 10,000. They went... A a 10,000-man mercenary force was hired by Cyrus the Younger to fight in the Persian Civil War uh, against his brother Artaxerxes. The 10,000 and their allies were winning this major set-piece battle, but then Cyrus was killed. So that ended it. So... The Greeks were like, well, we're here. We got to go home. And they were trapped. Like uh, the Persian leaders invited them to a conference to be like peace talks and murdered all the leaders. (laughs) (laughs) So then you have the 10,000 soldiers who have no leaders and they're so far from home. And so they have this long overland track where they have to meet all these different people who are hostile to them. And they have these hard times of fighting and being stranded and not having enough food. And that's what the Unsullied are going to be dealing with. They got to march overland. In hostile territory where we know the enemy is going to try to deny them of supplies. Dan Carlin has a podcast on that, right? Dan Carlin does, and so does Danielle Bellelli. Oh, awesome. Yes, History on Fire. Shout out to Hardcore History and History on Fire. So that is a great one. I really like that, that timing. Now, <laughs> we wondered what Euron would do next. Well, that was it, apparently. But now we're left with the same question. Now what's Euron going to do? We'll talk about that more on our Saturday Predictions and Theories episode again. Because I don't have any immediate guesses.
1: This Ramsey reek parallel to Euron Yara. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I'm worried about that. It, like, the Iron Islands of him torturing her. We don't need that to be what's <laughs> next,
0: but it might very well be. Certainly, Book Euron is the biggest torturer of all. He's much more of a torturer than Ramsey. He's a different kind of torturer. So. We may indeed see that, and that's too bad.
1: Hopefully not. I don't see how it would tie too much into the plot, other than maybe you are relating to Theon better later. But uh, I'm not, <laughs> not sure how important sh- it is with how few episodes there would be are. A hard way for them to have common
0: ground. You're like, yeah, we were both tortured really brutally by main series villains. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so we have, um, I guess she I guess Shea pulled up the image of the destruction of the ships, or if she didn't, she will now. Really cool, really awesome visual there, just seeing that. And Grey Worm just is sinking like, oh, my God. We did not see this coming. Damn it. Stop listening to the clever men. The clever men's, Jamie's cleverer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wish we Go could on. get at least one shot of whatever these fire catapults are on the deck of a Greyjoy ship, I think that'd be anything. neat thing to it's an,
0: Yeah, I think it was part of, just for the visual representation, like it'd be hard for them to show, it'd be hard for Greywind, Grey Greywind, Greyworm <laughs> to see his ships being destroyed. It, it, it's a lot more obvious with the flames, you can see which ships yeah. are burning. It's kind of from a distance, it'd be kind of hard to translate exactly what's happening. I think people would be confused. So it's a little weird to have these big fireball shooters, but I think it makes sense to from for like visual storytelling.
1: And also, it's it could just be a thing. It's just the reason your own is dominating yeah. has better technology. It's not
0: unrealistic. Yeah, it's not at all like flame. You know, shooting fire from ships is not some crazy unheard of only in fantasy thing. It's it's realistic enough. Yeah, Greek fire was a thing. You know, that that was a thing back in the day. Byzantines used it, etc. As far as uh, so so this this surprise here, um, that's probably all we have for Castley Rock. But I will say. More about it in the book to show, because some people are are just really jarred by... the are off-put by the idea of Jamie abandoning Casterly Rock. I think it makes sense in the context of where they're at. Both Jamie and Cersei are very different people now. And this is Tywin-esque. Like, some people say Tywin would never abandon Casterly Rock. He might, if it was out of gold, you know, and Highgarden yeah. was full of it. <laughs> and he had a limited amount of soldiers. Uh, he, and Cersei told him to. And Cersei told him to. And Jamie said... There's nothing there for me but memories. Tywin would not... That's not what would keep Tywin <laughs> holding guys like the memories. Plus, he totally says, he points out that they can't hold it. We'll get it back. They're going to have to abandon it. Yeah. They can't hold it. We're just going to get it back.
1: I, I remember having a thought at some point prior that that I, I don't think I got out, that some something along the lines of Cersei, you know, not wanting to lose her home, Casterly Rock. And I remember thinking at that moment... I don't think Cersei cares about it. I think King's Landing is Cersei's home. She's probably lived there most of her life, or she half. Yeah, you know? you're right. And and she also seems to be more on this track of being queen. You know, the the power is in King's Landing, not at Castle Rock. I think that Cersei believes that.
0: Hey, someone mentioned something here. The Enforcer, Dinforcer, says Ed Murtelli was sent to Castle Rock. Yeah, we remember we brought up earlier that there was some confusion about that. Mm. Yeah, well either way now, that's happened. It, w- w- regardless, the confusion was whether Edmir was still the twins and whether Arya just forgot about him and left him, or if he was a Cashier lock Well, both bases have been covered now. So yeah, they may have just yeah, It seems like to see. they would have
1: showed us, but it's possible that that the Lannisters that evacuated Cashier lock brought Edmir with him. That no, you're right. That's what they, they wouldn't just leave him there. They left they took the food, they wouldn't leave the Edmure. They wouldn't leave the valuable hostage. Yeah. And it'd be hard for them to show us that without giving away what's coming up. That's but true. they could show us that in the next episode that with one line of dialogue. Oh, Amir Tully, we brought him here from Castle of Well, yeah. put him in the dungeons of, of Highgarden. Yeah, it's know. their castle
0: now. They have Highgarden now. They can just stick him there. Yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense. He may end up in King's Landing, though, in the long run. It's term. also possible they've just written his character out of the show <laughs> altogether. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is entirely possible as well. Now, some people bring up the timing of all this. Uh, the given that Euron was just in King's Landing for Jamie, you know, and then somehow he sneaks up behind the Unsullied. Well... I get it. You know, that's a little bit problematic. But Jamie's also marched all the way to Highgarden with Tarly. It's clear that a lot of time has passed. So we shouldn't, you know, worry too much about the timing. One, because they're not consistent on you know, delivering timelines that totally fit. And neither is George R. R. Martin, to be fair, though. He's better than this. But... You know, because there's a lot of time that implies a lot of time I think it can work you just you still have to kind of look the other way a little bit but it's not too
1: egregious I also think that there's something that people don't properly account for is that the things that we're showing aren't necessarily happening in perfect chronological order. We're seeing a bunch of events that are occurring around the same time but it's not like each scene is something that happens immediately after the prior scene. We could see a series of events in one area that are stretched out over three months and a series of events that are happening in another area that are stretched out over three months and which period within those three months we're seeing aren't necessarily one after the next they're just within this range and in fact while we see that we can see the series of events that are happening somewhere else happen over a span of three days you know we see these cuts back and forth to what's going on at Dragonstone with Danny and John and that probably wasn't more than a couple days But that's interspersed with scenes that we're seeing in these other storylines that are spread out over three months yeah and it's you know editing back and forth between storylines keeps us engaged in a bunch of different storylines It makes it one cohesive episode, allows for parallels and symbolism to be spread through different storylines. It doesn't mean that the timetable of each storyline is exactly in sync with each other. I'm not saying that everything is perfectly handled correctly as far as the flow of time and movement or characters across the board, but I don't think it's as bad as some people think if you just think about the nature of how stories get presented in general. It's problematic, I agree. It's problematic, but less problematic than it seems on the surface. In fact... Anyone who has seen Dunkirk, this made very clear with how that the story of that movie's they showed you know? some yeah they showed things kind of a little bit out of sequence non-linear storytelling. Yes, yeah. good
0: question from Jacob S. Here, did Tyrion know about the empty gold mines? No, I don't think he did. Because Tyrion, because uh, when Tywin dropped that news on Cersei, she was like, "What? Huh?" <laughs> so I don't, I don't know why Tyrion would know that. Uh, so yeah, it's a good question. And that is that speaks to maybe part of why he made this mistake. He thought that the location was more important than it was. Jaime. Was that was how Jamie outplayed him? Was by realizing they'd come for it, and then so he had all this this great plan to with misdirection and to tie the Unsullied up. It worked really well, but that's you know if Tyrion knew the gold mines were empty, he might have planned differently.
1: You could also imagine Tyrion might have had an inkling of an idea that like somewhere in his work and studies, he might have been thinking about how much gold there is, how much was spent, da da da. But then he. Kills his dad, sees Oberon killed in front of him, escapes to a different continent, travels in a box, drinks himself half to death. Maybe some lines of thought that he had before were lost, you know, yeah, like
0: maybe and some I just someone uh, jinx Lear points out maybe Tyrion or maybe Jamie knew about Tyrion's little secret passage. Like maybe he knew about his little sneaky way to be with girls without their father finding out. Yeah, maybe Jamie knew about that. I don't think he did, but it makes sense. It would explain it would add some interesting detail to that to under to explaining how Jamie was able to outplay Tyrion so well there, <laughs> but mostly it was just about learning from his mistakes and going where your enemy doesn't expect, especially when there's such a juicy target, which is where we're going to go next. Let's talk about Highgarden. So yeah, this was clever. Uh, Darren Tucker, Knight of the Forums, points out that Tyrion's mistake regarding Castlely Rock led to this and Olenna went along with it. She was right not to listen to clever men in the end because it was Tyrion's idea to, to... Tyrion's the one who thought that they would reinforce Caspi Rock severely and not worry about Highgarden. And oops! <laughs> <laughs> Wrong! <laughs> so it's pointed out multiple times that Highgarden is crazy rich, so it actually makes a lot of sense for them to take Highgarden. Not only is Olena not on their side anymore, but two birds with one stone, get rid of her, and get all this
1: cash. There was, uh, I even noticed watching a second time through, there's, a, there's sort of a, a montage. They, they skip the battle, which personally I'm okay with. I, I don't care as much about the details of who stabbed who with the sword as to how it affects the plot of these characters that we're following. We see the army approach, then we see that it's been conquered, you know. Yeah. And we see that sort of by Jamie walking through the castle coming up to Olenna. In that sequence, we see a group of soldiers taking stock of gold. We see yes. like this wagon, and it got some paper, and they're like stacking up these bars of gold, counting the loot. I think that was very minor, but put in there to show us that's how Cersei's paying back the Iron Bank.
0: Yep, and it just all came clear. It's like, oh yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. It makes so much sense. It was another bit of misdirection that we really, you know, if you would pause the episode and really thought about it, you could kind of maybe figure it out. But it's just no time to connect those dots when you're watching the episode live. <laughs> and it was it was really clever. Um, we get. This final moment here, the episode ends, and a, a lot of people, you know, it's, we'll miss you, Olena. <laughs> it was a good shot, and this, but she had a fantastic final scene. Oh, hang on, let's back up. We've got a couple of good questions here. Acre Frey says, Tywin told Cersei about Cashley Rocks gold mines in the Red Keep. Does that mean Varus knew about the mines? Well, Varus mm-hmm. is supposed to hear just about everything that goes on in there. Maybe. Maybe, um,. Maybe they just overlooked that, or maybe Tyrion thought it was a good idea to go after
1: Casca Rock despite the missing mines. But in, in, in which case, it's a worse decision. Or um, maybe Varys knew and didn't tell. Or if you know, Varus is somehow conniving against Danny. Yeah.
0: And Stanklepoot points out skipping the Battle at Highgarden completes the Whispering Wood callback. Whispering Wood yeah. is not shown on screen. It's not in the books either. It's from Catelyn's perspective and she's at a safe distance. She's just sitting there worried, justifiably so, about what's happening in there. And then you hear some of it, you know, told to her afterwards. And that, that does fit really well here. So I wonder, maybe in the books it'll happen off screen too, if this even happens. <laughs> That's uh, hard to predict. More on that in our book to show episode. So, we have Elena's death is really... This was so well acted on both sides. Elena kind of stole the scene, but Nikolai Costarwaldo kicks butt as usual. He's he's never not good. <laughs> and this reveal, she says, she needles him first. She's needling him a lot about Cersei and trying to drive that wedge in. And it doesn't seem to be working very well. Jamie's a little agitated by it, but mostly he's like, all right, I'm the winner here. Let the beaten woman, you know, have her last word or whatever and it's not really working. You know, she points out, you're in love with him. You're never going to, you know, I regret helping you spread this poison. You're going to regret it too. And he's kind of like, he's kind of like, yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, yeah, I might regret it later. We'll see. I don't know. I've done
1: things I knew I'd regret later. Yeah. I'd do Cersei if I knew I'd regret it later.
0: (laughs) So, so, but it's a setup because he's not really, that's maybe not moving. It's, It's something for him to think about. It's not really moving him more than just to agitate him a little. But when she drops the... Oh, by the way, I killed Joffrey. That gets him, and that may be something that starts to push Jamie and Cersei apart. If that happens, this is the first domino, I think, because uh, clearly none of these other things, have, like blowing up the step, clearly didn't do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> doing you know all of this stuff just didn't move Jamie. He's still right there with her. So eh. now here's a confirmation from we watched behind the episode when Dan and Dave said. That as soon as Olena says this, Jamie knows it's true. So I was gonna ask, does he believe her? But Dan and Dave say he does believe her, and I believe that. It. it makes sense that he would believe
1: her. I think so too. And I think what's more important here is not that she did it, but that Tyrion didn't do it. Mm. I think yes, that
0: both of those are hugely important, yes. Yeah.
1: I think that Jamie, in that moment, his facial expression is where you might expect, I think it'd be reasonable to expect anger. Like, what? You're the one. You know, like, he maybe even wants her to have a more painful death after trying to be merciful toward her. But that didn't seem to be his reaction. He didn't seem to, to get angry at her. He seemed to turn inside like he was reevaluating information. And I think the main thing he's reevaluating is Tyrion didn't do it. On whatever level I wanted to believe he didn't, now I know he didn't. And you know what? So now, it's, now that I know... The, the thing is, here's the thing. I think this is part of what Jamie's going through. It makes sense to have this injury correction. I've got to tell Cersei. I've got to tell Cersei. Tyrion didn't do
0: it. That we have that we got that question from Lady Alicia
1: Everlasting right. of the
0: Desert Rose. Will Jamie tell Cersei?
1: But here's the thing: how, do, how, now whether or not Jamie goes this far down the thought process. Let us, when he tells Cersei, does Cersei go like, "Oh, it wasn't him. Oh, that's oh, so sorry about that. I, I guess I love him after all." No, <laughs> before he <laughs> before he killed before she thought. Or was accusing him of killing Joffrey? She already didn't like him. She already tried to have him killed, right? And then after that, she still—he still killed Tywin. Yeah, you know, it's not like suddenly she's going to turn around from this. Jamie might suddenly turn around from this.
0: That's why it's a—that's why it's a great wedge between Tyrion and yeah. between Jamie and Cersei. Because you're right, Cersei—it won't move the needle at all on her feelings on Tyrion, but it will move the needle on Jamie's, where at least it very much
1: could. And it might be that Elena poisoned jamie as much as he poisoned her herself.
0: yes very good point with with the literal non-literal poison with the figurative poison as she takes the real poison and the, also just logistically right now he's out in the field he's not gonna send a raven be like oh by the way i just found out that uh wasn't Tyrion who killed, like he's not gonna do that <laughs> so we have a super chat from alex willer uh shout out to big willie that's the super chat all right shout out to big willie Hey, good good job big willie um, yes, you don't have to super chat questions. We're fine with doing shout outs. We're closing in on eight hundred people here, which we're already at a record, I think, for our own um, live stream support. but hey, we're doing them a lot more often and we're this is our this is our thing now to do them all the time. So y'all are getting in the in the rhythm with us and it's a great thing. Yeah. okay, but we're not done yet. We got more to go. Um so yeah, so I'm really curious where that's gonna go. Jamie, I think this is really the first real domino because it's, like you said, it's a, it's something that they will disagree on. They will take very differently. And, but also Jamie points out to Olena, like you've let this get out of your, out of hand, haven't you? You just don't have control over this anymore. And he's like, yeah, yep, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. So she had all the right things to say there. It was really well done. Some of her best acting. And yeah, again, we'll miss you Olena. <laughs> Another one down. Although at least I get to give myself a thumbs up for calling it. Not that it was hard to predict that one, but, uh, Anyway, okay. I was
1: still defaulting against it. It it does yeah. make sense. I, I remember thinking it could go either way because she's an interesting character. It would suck to remove her, but it, because she's an interesting character, it'll be more tragic to have her be removed.
0: Would love to see her have a war of words with Euron.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, that would be.
0: good. <laughs> or with Tyrion, you know, just Tyrion yeah. and Alina. like they had, they did have their minute. They were in the room together, but they didn't get to really go at it. So <laughs> yeah, so maybe there's hope for Jamie because you know Jamie is Jamie is a beloved character, even though he's. You know, aligned with one of the worst characters, period. He's done a lot of terrible things himself. But people still kind of hope that he ends up on the winning side. He ends up leaving Cersei, and maybe some of that's, maybe that's too hopeful, but hey, there's some fuel for that fire now, at least, right? Let's see here. We got some questions. We have, um, Dragon Rider Jinx Lier says, Will Sean actually dance if we make it to 6K? We will make. A Sean, dancing video if we get to 6,000 and the 24-hour stream. We'll do both of those things. <laughs> we'll Actually, a, we'll do them together. Well, you, you, we're not to find things to do during a 24-hour stream, <laughs> so dancing will be a part of it. <laughs> Man, we might do that for 1,000. Ooh. Uh, He he might do that for a thousand.
1: I just want to make a dance video anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right then, history of Westeros dance videos. (laughs) We've been calling Radio Westeros the Radio Westeros dancers, but Sean is the real Radio or the real history of Westeros dancer. Oh, we're over eight hundred now. All right, very cool. All right, we got more questions. Ben Smith, Bronzian gets more lines. Recognizes that Sansa knows what she's talking about and seems eager to help. He's definitely getting a larger role as the season goes on, isn't he? Absolutely. Thanks for pointing that out. We've we've mentioned it a few times, but it bears repeating. We believe that this is a meta uh, evidence for Littlefinger's death because once he's out of the way, someone's got to lead those Vale knights. Those Vale knights are got to be important in terms of what's happening in, just all around, not just in the north, but maybe in the south as well. And Bronzian is a great call for that. He's, as we pointed out before, he's already sent a son to the Night's Watch, and he's got. He hates the Lannisters, <laughs> and yeah, it's all lining up well for Bronzian. Good, Rupert. Vensitart, I believe is his real name. I believe his role... He may, his, his season... Ending of season 7 and season 8 role may be his most screen time. Uh, so uh, I, I think that he's got a lot to look forward to and we do too with him. Once he gets the leather on those breastplates properly. <laughs> <laughs> Here are some live chat questions that Ashay has been gathering. Good job, a lot of these. Li- uh, from Ashley Lynn. Mel tells Varus, I have to die in this strange country just like you. Is that what he heard in the flames? That he would die in Westeros. And could that explain his dedication to the realm? Well then, I have never considered that possibility. Yeah, he just doesn't want to say what he heard. heard, It was the voice, the the chilling, the sound of the voice that was just as chilling. I never really considered that it was the words he said. I thought maybe it was in a foreign tongue.
1: I think that would make me want to not be in the realm. (laughs) Yeah, go the other way. Just go east. Like, Westeros is where I'm going. I'm going as far east as I can.
0: So um darren tucker with another clever question here was the whole Gr- Jora grayscale episode a way of depriving danny of her only real tactical military leader at the start of her campaign well we pointed that out that was uh, that Barriston was removed and that allowed them to make mistakes that Barriston would not have made and Jora probably wouldn't have made those mistakes either so yeah maybe it was a you know an awkward way of getting him out of the way for a while but yeah <laughs> that is that does fit that would make some sense there Oh, okay, so Alex Willard, thanks for saying my name right. Who will run the Riverlands with no phrase? Yeah, that's a good question. Like they, Cersei and, and Jamie were kinda of talking about how they didn't have that was kind of they were kinda of out of the picture right now. Well it feels like it's in chaos right now. Maybe
1: is is Hall in chaos? Is the Dreadfort in chaos?
0: Well, Hall is ruled by Peter Baelish, that's his. So, so but he, he's not
1: there running it. But he
0: presumably left arrangements, but there's no phrase left to run mm-hmm. it, that's the point. The, um, Arya probably didn't kill the steward and you know all the people yeah. that were. I mean, he did leave
1: Walder's wife alive. Like it's as much as Sansa is the lady of the Dreadfort. I don't know her name. Walt, Wilda, Walda, Walder, Walda. She's the lady of the. Oh, twins, no, that's not right. Walda. That's not
0: Walder. No, there's no. There, there, there may be a female, affray fray out there. That's true. That Maybe that may be who claims it. You know, it'll probably get claimed by the the, the child of one of the fray brides that's out there somewhere. That would make sense. I mean, the show not going to cover that, I don't think, but that would make sense. I see someone say that it should be given to Braun. <laughs> that actually could happen. I mean, I don't know if he'll ever get to take hold of it, but they might be like, okay, here's that reward we were promising you. You can yeah. never run. I don't know mm-hmm. if it'll get to that point, but that would that would be appropriate. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> Very cool. What is this? Speed dating with Sean. How to fill at least an hour a 24-hour stream. <laughs> uh, you guys have great comments. All document right. has context. Document has context. Okay, so there's more to that. Um, yes. Per- Eliana says, perhaps you have Sean go on a live stream date as part of the 24-hour stream. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse now asked if Sean was single. Oh, hey. How about Yes, he is. I am ladies, indeed. ladies. Yes, he is. That's how <laughs> it got started. Both Sean and <laughs> Sean. And his beard are single. <laughs> so you can, uh, two birds with one stone right there. All right, more questions from the chat commenters. Uh, another from Darren Tucker Will Jamie, learning that Olena killed Joffrey and not Tyrion, be what turns Jamie from Cersei to Tyrion's head? Okay, I guess we've already covered that, so I think so. Astute observation, though, but we'll move on since we covered it already. Rob Storm, QA Does Mira have a role going forward? Will she explain more to Sansa what went up in the north with Bran or head home? Yeah, I think head home because, I mean, it, it's one thing you say, oh, well, Bran can just see that Alan Reed is there with his powers. But maybe not because he's ha- he, he made that point about, I can't just do, I can't just focus on anything. I'm still learning how to control all this. Alan Reed, we've talked about how he might be brought into the story. We mentioned that she said his name in the opening scene. Well, not the opening scene, the, the post-credits scene in the first episode, the non-cold open first scene. When they meet at the wall, she says her father's name. She says, Alan Reed, my father, blah, blah, blah. So... That's my pick that she goes home. Um, maybe she kind of has a. I do think maybe she'll have a little word with Sansa first. Like, yeah, this is. He's messed up. Like, this is what happened. Like, you know, this is what he saw. She could explain what happened better than he can at this point because he's just so kind of out there in the world with his head in yeah. a million places at once. That, that, that might actually make thought more thought sense.
1: That I had forgotten about, but she did have, I don't know quite what to call it, a look of concern as Sansa and Bran were you know, being reunited, she was looking on with this sort of concern and curiosity about how this would play out. By the way, if you folks ever
0: see our camera shake, it's a cat. That's what's (laughs) happening. A cat makes our camera shake every once in a while. (laughs) All right, next question from Flo Florenson: Who will be the person to bring up a possible marriage between Jon and Daenerys? I think Tyrion. I think Tyrion. He's already been the back channel guy. He's already seeing how much they have in common. He sees, he's the politician that sees what needs to happen. It could be Varys.
1: Could questions. be Melisandre.
0: Melisandre just left. Could be no one. It could be no one. I, I see it happen. I think they need a political marriage. Might not happen. Let's say assume it does, though. If it happens, who would be the one? I, my first pick is Tyrion. I think Varus would be my second call. Maybe Sansa. Oh, yeah. I didn't think of that. That's a good call. It could be Sansa. Yeah. I mean, she's been part of two political marriages already. It would be on her <laughs> mind. Good call. Good call. Yeah, it could be one of them. All right, Johan Abaton, has any Lord Commander left the wall before John? Uh Left, as in, I'm, I'm not sure what you mean by left, but of course this is, we sort of answered part of the weirdness of this, and I'm not bringing it up yet, which I think they will, but they, well, Lord Commanders have left the wall to go do battle, but not to like, not like this. Damn it, starts down from command. Right, I don't... I don't think, I think that's a precedent, a new precedent. But of course, someone dying and coming back is kind of a precedent too. <laughs> so, also the White Walker showing up again is a precedent. Apparently they never showed up during, after the wall was built before that. So, a lot of precedents being set. This, times are a changing, as you said. Will Sam run into his dad again? If so, what will happen? I'm guessing no. I'm guessing Dickon and, and Randall are toast. And almost literally toast. I think they get burned. Oh, think? I think they, yeah. Well, I think there's going to be a showdown. You know, we've all been predicting a field of fire from trailers and all these other things that lead, you know, that lead up to that possibility. And it was the leaders, it was the king of the Reach and all his descendants that were burned to death on the field of fire. So it kind of feels like a a parallel about to happen here. So that's my guess.
1: I'm not sure, I I don't know what's likely, but I know what I want, is I want for Dickon and Sam to come to terms with each other. Mm. That's what I would like to see. That'd be nice, that'd be nice. And what I was sort of predicting is that Randall would stay with whatever army and leadership role he has, and would send Dickon after Sam to get that sword back. And then my hope was, at that moment, they would talk to each other, and Dickon would see that Sam's not as worthless as his dad thinks, and maybe would want to support him, would let him get away, you know.
0: Um, here's a super chat from Kelly Valance. Could Littlefinger offer Sansa food stores as an enticement? I believe he's been sitting on things for planned profiteering. That, that sort of ties into some book stuff, but that doesn't mean it won't happen here. So I won't go too deep. I want to go into detail on the book aspect of that. But that's the kind of thing he would do. You know, he'd be like to ingratiate himself to make himself more necessary, to prove that he's needed. He might be like, look what I can do. Look at these other things I can help with. Like, yeah, you hate me, but I'm valuable. You need me. You know, um, I could see him doing that. That's a kind of clever kind of way to put himself back in the I'm needed category <laughs> um, because he's going to look for ways to do that. He's going to look for ways to
1: be useful, look for ways to make Sansa not hate him. <laughs> it's also worth noting that obviously Littlefinger has ulterior motives and usually has dual reasons when he does something, even though it might seem helpful to people. But he did show up with the Knights of the Vale and rescue John and the Battle of the Bastards. And hasn't like demanded something in return, true, right? True. And he continues to pledge fealty up here in the north. He's, hey, White Walker, sure. You want much? Sure, sure. He's going along with everything that's been demanded out of him. And imagine if he did also. Here's some grain, too. Maybe it's all ulterior, tricky ways to get in Sansa's pants, but maybe he's just genuinely. Loves Sansa or is worried about the White Walkers or wants to solidify his position as a legitimate leader in the realm. I mean so he would so like on. to do
0: that. And he wants to be recognized. He wants yeah. to be considered legit. He wants to be seen as, you know, worthy of a noble title and all that. And if he's gonna do things the right way, I mean he's gonna obviously continue to do his subterfuge and his intriguing, I would think, and probably still be creepy. But if he's smart, and he is smart, he's going to also do, like, good, positive things to make him, you know, to make him, you know, uh, to do the things
1: that a good leader is supposed to do to make
0: it look right. You know, he's he's he understands optics.
1: Littlefinger's not a very popular character, but... The fact is, he's not too dissimilar from a bunch of other characters. He's got this ambition to get into power, and along the way, he's we'll say assassinated a few people. But what did Robert Baratheon do to get into power? What has Danny done to get into power? There's a bunch of other characters. Robert maybe not of- the best
0: example because he was literally he was directly threatened with death, and that's what caused him to rebel. True, but, true. You know, which was vile. But there, but you're right. There's a lot of examples people that we. For, I think a good example is Jamie. Like, people justify what Jamie does far more than what Littlefinger do, because like, he's just not as likable. I, I think Jamie is not nearly as bad as Littlefinger, but I do think it's a lot closer than
1: people would say. But even once Robert got into power, where maybe you can find how and why he <laughs> okay, got yeah. there, he was bad. he's literally trying to assassinate a baby girl. Yeah, he was bad. He was. He, Stannis burns <laughs> a baby girl, No, oh, he's the worst hero, but right. people don't talk about what a, what a villain Robert was. You Morris
0: know? points out that Robert was a bad king because he just didn't care, but when he did do things, they were, they were crappy. He spent too much money, threw away the crown's money, Tries to assassinate a little girl. Yeah, all this, all these. It was almost better when he did nothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like bad when he does nothing, but it's worse when he does things. <laughs> There's more questions. We've got Mr. E, do you see a problem with getting the gold back to King's Landing? I don't want to talk too much about that. I think yes, but I don't want to go into detail because a lot of it, there are some absolute spoilers from the trailers. So I can't really answer that without being spoilers. So we will absolutely talk about that on Saturday's live stream. But yes, like, it shouldn't be easy to get that back. I mean, it's kind of a logistical thing that they could just gloss over, but I don't think they will. I think they're going to make that a plot point. So, but again, I won't go any farther than that. Can a dragon from Jacob Alvis, or Alvis, can a dragon wear armor even during off-battle time while ranging like a runner using a weighted vest-slash-ankle weights? I don't know that they can't, but there's no historical precedent that I know of for them. The older a dragon from book canon... And I assume book canon's in place whenever the show doesn't put in its own thing to cover that up. The older a dragon is, the tougher its scales are. They harden over time. Even, even, you know, because dragons can be like, like Vegar. Something I said, I actually said this wrong in a previous episode that Vegar died second. Vegar died last. Well last after Miraxes and Balerion. Vegar was like 181 when, when she died. And they talked, described her as kind of slow, but still ferocious. And just huge and just ridiculously tough armor. So maybe for a really young dragon, that would be useful. But I think if you put armor on the dragon, it might impede its ability to fly. The weight, yeah. So I'm guessing maybe a little leather, but I don't know if that would even be enough to help. Question from Sanrixian. Do you think the Brotherhood or Arya will arrive at Winterfell first? (sighs) Yeah, tough one. I think... think,
1: uh, Could be together. It could be together. Arya might know. link up with the Brotherhood, and then together they travel to Winterfell. I would have kind of thought the Brotherhood
0: would have gotten there by now, given how long ago they started heading north. But, you know, again, it's non-linear storytelling. We don't have to assume that that's already happened, even though we've seen it already. So I'm not worried about that. But, but still, I would have expected it by now. So, but also, Arya's had a whole episode to go there, and I'm going to guess Arya. But it's a guess. I don't usually. I have like a at least some reason for that, But this is this is mostly pure guesswork. Do you, you, you feel the same way? Or?
1: Sort of. But I still think that she's gonna link up with the Brotherhood first. Is what I think.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Although I was thinking she would at some point encounter Melisandre. That seems less likely now. (laughs) Okay, well,
0: we are starting our descent into the end of this episode. We managed to keep it around two hours, but we're not done yet. We've got time for more questions. Can we get some more questions
1: about me being single? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, we'll see.
0: (laughs) Okay, so there's, uh, a few, I see some other questions flying by. Uh, I know we're keeping an eye out. Yeah, here's a question from Matt Graham. What does Danny hang on to when flying? We see her grabbing onto the scales there, but it is a little awkward. I, I, I kind of think that she should get a saddle.
1: Maybe Tyrion can help her design one.
0: Tyrion designed Bran a saddle, so, yeah. Why are you single, Healer 180 says? <laughs> no one can keep up with me. <laughs> he dances too well. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, let's the see girls are have. turned off by my drinks. Yeah, Stephanie Vale says, why isn't
0: Tyrion... That that might be it. <laughs> <laughs> Tyrion- Stephanie Vale says, why isn't Tyrion building a saddle? Yeah, uh, we kind of expected he would by now. I thought that would be one of the early things he does to help. But I think they're just kind of playing coy with the whole dragon stuff. They're just just like they are with the White Walker stuff. They're getting this... They put it right in our face, and they're like, wait, hold on. We got other stuff to do first. I think gonna doing it with the dragon stuff. The dragon's like, they dive-bomb John and just like, whoa, what happened there? But we yeah, have... I mean... I, there's going to be some close-ups and some more dragon action, but they're just hold, They're just it's storytelling. They're waiting on that. They're waiting on that. Marcus Swain, how do I pep-talk my beard into that greatness? <laughs> you can't. No words can do that. No words can describe it. No <laughs> words can co- create it. <laughs> um, another question here from... Charles Dunkley, I'd like to think Arya is already in Winterfell wearing someone else's face to get the lay of the land before revealing herself, but I doubt the show will do that. That's a cool idea, and I could see that happening. She wants to make sure, because she was already like, really? You're lying. I mean, she should know by traveling the countryside, she probably would hear other people talking about it or have opportunities to ask. But I like the idea, because, you know, yeah, she doesn't know what's
1: up, and why not use her powers to detect herself and to be, you know, to do it that way? Given things that she's heard, she might assume that it's dangerous to go there in the first place, so. yeah. I mean, there have been times when Sansa ostensibly was Lady to the Dreadfort. Oh, I'll go there. My sister's said, oh, that might not have been a safe thing to do, right? <laughs> Jacob
0: S. says there's a great fiction book about the 10,000 Greek soldiers called the Macht. And yeah, I, I, there's some other historical fiction. books. There's one that I've read that I'm really, I'm trying to think of and it's escaping me, but it's a great story. It's a great real world story. Alexander the Great slept with a copy of it under his pillow. Mm -hmm. that's how and so I mean of course at the time there weren't very many books period but especially you know accounts like that but there's a reason that one survived the ages that that story still exists there probably weren't many pillows either at that time (laughs) (laughs) but when you're an emperor like Alexander you got the pillows (laughs) yeah You get the one pillow that the army has. <laughs> All right, what else do we have? Dance battle. <laughs> People want you to do. Yeah, this James Lambert says this podcast is extremely hairy. I, to cut back on that, I'm wearing a hat. That's the whole point here. I'm trying to like, yeah, I agree. It's getting out of control here. <laughs> Marcus says, come visit and we'll make sure that happens. And Duke Chronic says, I'll dance battle Chris Brown. <laughs> Adam Weiss says, how did Santa's army make it past the wall and how could the walkers use this? Well, they did that by sailing around it. And, you know, there is some chatter about the possibility of them freezing the sea and walking around it. That is uncertain. There is a lot of other ways. Maybe they could do using magic or I don't know. But Eastwatch by the Sea seems to be where that maybe is going to happen. But, hey, if we take a lesson from this episode... Eastwatch could be a diversion. You brought this up already, but we could restate that. You, you suggested maybe that's a diversion. Maybe Maybe the walkers are more intelligent than we're giving them credit for. Maybe they're going to make an attack at Eastwatch to draw the eye of mankind to that spot. Meanwhile, they're just coming around the other
1: side, all the way on the west, you know, something like that. Or even not necessarily a diversion, but just a multi-pronged attack. You know, yeah, maybe they not? assault yeah. the main gate, the east and the west all at once. That's what the
0: Unsullied did. They yeah. even know they had the secret passage. They're like, focus their attention right here while we sneak in and come up from
1: them behind. Yeah. I've been wondering a lot lately about the potential intelligence of the White Walkers and what they want, what their goals are. I think, again, that's the type of thing you just probably do a whole podcast or series of podcasts on. But... I wonder if they have the capability to build a ship. I wonder if they have the capability to give instructions that will last. Like, could they tell a horde of whites, go around to the east and head south and attack anyone you come in contact with? Or do they need to be there with them to to guide the army? You know,
0: B-Word says, why do we think the Brotherhood will go to Winterfell? They may head straight up to the east coast. Well, we did say the same possibility. And if they do that, it cuts out a lot of their need to address Sandor meeting with Arya and or Sansa and Littlefinger too. It maybe just like dodges the need to them for them to handle that interaction. And yeah, so that might be how they handle it. They just, but it just makes sense that they would stop at Winterfell because it's right in the middle of the North. They might want to like let go, Hey, we're here to sign up to help, you know, not just show up at the wall and be like, Hey, we're going to, cause they're not, they didn't say anything about joining the Night's nice watch. Maybe that's what their intent is, but they didn't say that. They just said they want to go up and help fight, for humanity they never not they mentioned nothing about joining the night's watch as far as i can recall and uh sansa makes that point about how everyone's gonna start coming to winterfell because this is the the most defensible spot we got to bring all the food here blah blah blah. so if sandor and the brother are traveling north and they hear that everyone's going on going to winterfell then they would go there too not nearly a sure thing though i totally agree that it's worth pointing out that they may not go there at all uh, another reason, by the way, to think that they're going to go there is the very early trailer shots that show San, uh, that show John with Barrick, you know, and some other people out beyond. But that could be because he goes to Eastwatch and meets them there. Right. So there's definitely multiple ways this can go down. Another one in the document here says, Achea. "What do we think of Cersei's mini breakdown when she asks why did you do that?' That was the very last of her humanity. Was that the very last of her humanity slipping away?" yeah I really liked that slip of emotion there was just part of how amazing her performance was there and because she just like yeah it was it was it wasn't she wasn't the queen in that moment she was yeah. another.
1: she's yeah. tr- she's trying to keep her cool her air her her power this whole time and for a little little moment there she like let a little motion slip out a little personal frustration slip out there that was a good moment totally agree and uh another thought that I had there in that speech she gave I wonder who Cersei's favorite was.
0: I, I, I wonder went if it looking. Was I think it was Marcella. Because I mean it may have been Tommen at one point, but she always respected that Marcella was the bravest and the smartest. And Tommen, she said, turned against her. You yeah. Know? yeah so that's right. That's my guess, but it's it's it may have been different prior. And I went looking in the book to see if I could find any examples of that. I didn't have much time. And it wasn't the most important question to be re- to me be researching in this limited time before the episode. But I couldn't find anything obvious. I searched for favorite and Cersei. And there was nothing, and I f- searched for favorite and child, and I-, I couldn't find it. So she may have said it a different way, but I don't know if she h- hints at who her favorite was.
1: Even if it was never said, it's still need to think about.
0: Yeah, it might yeah, have been. absolutely. Okay, let's take a couple more and call it a night, folks. More in the dock. Thank you, Achea. Um, Jay Beach. Do you think Sam will find out about John or the wedding between Rhaegar and Lyanna in the old papers he has to rewrite? Yeah, that it could be. It's the the op- the it is wide open. What Sam could find in those documents? It's almost like a. Deus Ex library, you know, like or Chekhov's books, you know, <laughs> something is coming out of those books. We don't know what yet. This is a very valid possibility. Um, maybe not. I would think that is maybe more likely to have been kept secret and not written down. But if you if they need to find a way to prove that it happened, having it written down would do that.
1: I also, keep in mind if it was written down in secret, these are books that were locked up. So, it's a good point, potentially, too. at least. Yeah.
0: and. Here we go. Furry Oliver, how will the Brotherhood be received by the Wildlings? Hmm. I think they'll be okay with them. I think they'll like them. I think they'll respect them more than most because this are, except for Beric, they're mostly commoners who are just defending the realm, taking it upon themselves to defend the realm and help the common people. I think that they would find some common ground. The Wildlings can respect that these guys, you know, are doing their own thing. You know, they're not, you know, following any of the kings or queens. They're uh, probably wearing Wildling pants.
1: Right. <laughs> Hopefully, those things have a lot of insulation because it's cold up there. Let it be known, by the way, I take my waddling pants off in the bedroom.
0: Sir Hype the Dank says so. John can't give Danny men, but he could he offer military guidance? Send some military commanders to help. Just don't know what he has to offer. Yeah, I think so. We we talked a, a lot of times about Royce. You could send Royce. Ooh, Royce. yeah. Mm. send the Veilmen down there. I mean, he needs them in the short term, but maybe he can get away with sending them down there for a little while, just to you know get Danny. If it's worth, if it's if sending the Veilmen south gets the dragons north, that's a, that's worth it. <laughs> so it may come down to that. And absolutely, we talked that Danny has all kinds of great political advisors. Tyrion is her number one military advisor, and it's not going well. His advice has not gone well. And he himself, he blames himself for not anticipating Euron's move, which, yeah, they should have been at least been on guard. They they maybe shouldn't have known he would attack right there, but they weren't. They were totally caught off guard by that. And that's just that's just not thinking. They should have known that Euron, they know he's out there somewhere and he's doing working with Cersei and doing his thing. They were totally should not have been caught so off guard by that. Um, so yeah, I think in general, John is going to be able to help with that a lot you know the whole concept of the whole military angle because uh, it's not going well for her. <laughs> dark sister and bright roar oh here we go felicia elana what well, we say lost swords like Blackfire, dark sister and bright roar well we saw widow's whale come back and uh that was not a you know that's uh, a more recent sword that's half of um, half of ice and it was in an appropriate place i was i was a little worried that it would be used to kill Lena since it's widow's whale and mm-hmm. she's you know the like Queen of the Widows, there, but luckily we were spared that. She got a clean, a, as clean a death as possible. And but no, I don't think Blackfire, Dark Sister, and Bright Roar are going to make it into the show. I really hope they do in the books, but I'm doubt. I'm a little. I have my doubts there as well, <laughs> but not strong doubts, just some doubts. Lola Dixie, will Danny have any more visions? I think no. Hmm. But but because uh, it was the visions she had were triggered at the House of the Undying. Maybe Melisandre w- would have been a vehicle for that, but she just left.
1: Yeah, I was really hoping we would have a scene of Melisandre asking people to look into the flames and that they would see the same thing as Sandor saw. <laughs> Jinx
0: Lier says Sean, dancing in the streets, wildling in the sheets. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end it with that comment. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, everybody. Thank you all for the questions. Thanks you all for attending live. I know a lot of you guys were having fun in the chat room, even if you didn't get your questions answered, but you can always send them to us offline and we may handle them in the book to show or especially if they involve predictions, we will handle them on the Saturday live stream. So we hope to see you on Wednesday's book to show episode and or Saturday's predictions and theories live stream. That's going to be the Saturday episode should be around two Eastern Standard and the Wednesday one, I think, it's going to be at six, TBA. T- 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 but we'll, we'll have that settled very shortly. And thank you again, thank you everybody, for coming. Thank you, Ashea, for running production and handling all the questions. It's a lot of work uh, uh, behind the camera here that is making this work really well. So, again, much appreciation for that. Follow us on Twitter, by the way. I'm dancing Sean Westeros at Westeros History and at Miranese Not for Ashea. Yes, good call, Sean. Okay, shout outs for our patrons. Let's go. Peers of the Realm include Mysterious BR, Hand of the King, Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog, and Warden of the West. Lord George Stormsville the Cunning is Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Cabeth the Unfrozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, Defender of the Old Gods and Warden of the North. By the way, folks, a lot of you, there's a lot of new patrons whose names haven't made it on the website yet. I apologize. We're just so swamped right now. A lot of people are still owed nicknames. We'll get that done soon, too. We'll be able to do some of that this week. We're doing a few at a time. So if you're waiting on yours, we're making our way towards you. And you'll get your shout-outs soon if you haven't gotten them yet.
1: Also, I want everyone to know how much I appreciate this. I love imagining all these characters as being part of Westeros and the stories (laughs) that they would have and which armies they would be on and so on. Right on.
0: Uh, also, Lord Osborne of Castle Werewoods is spreading the old gods by planting werewood saplings in the Reach, Stormlands, and Crownlands. And his motto is Our Roots Run Deep. And there's rumors he's going to start doing this overseas in places like Bravos that don't have a lot of trees. Well needed. Also, we have Lord James Tuttle. Uh, I'm sorry, was that a note for me?
2: No. <laughs> no. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, okay, Lord James Tuttle is, I'm on the wrong page, Lord James Tuttle is the king of the Stepstones in Narrow Sea, commander of the royal fleet consisting of the narrow fleet led by the flagship Caraxes and the Bloodstone fleet led by the flagship Prince Damon This is highly scandalous. Lord James (laughs) Tuttle was our master of ships and he stole our navy to run off and become king of the Stepstones in the Narrow Sea.
1: Is there precedent for that?
0: Yes, there (laughs) is. (laughs) He is following the footsteps of other classic pirates and kings of the narrow. He's not a pirate anymore. He's ascended to above that level, but some people are going to view him as a pirate. But he carries himself with more noble bearing than that. More on that in future episodes. It's a developing situation. Our blood rider is Kohol Koli, master of the bow called Sunpiercer, who revenges those who are on the wrong side of justice. An important role to play. A flaming arrow to the face from the talented female archer. Our small council is now one person short, given this Master of Ships scandal. <laughs> Lord James Inkblade, however, is still our Scholar Knight, Master of Whisperers, who didn't warn me this was coming. <laughs> <laughs> Grand Master Saria of the Barrows is Cinder of the Citadel. Lord Robert Jacobs is Master of Coin. Rosie the Clever is Master of Laws. Lady Direliz of Castle Nyaki is the Alpha Patron. Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell is Breaker of the Second Stone. Lord Skip of the Velt is Lord of Castle Ganges. Uh, Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort. Alicia Everlasting of the Green Blood is Lady of Desert Rose. Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Ashlyn Winter is the Hawke's Eye and Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is Leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. The Lord of the Halls of Castle Hillcrest is Wielder of the Valyrian Steel Machete Everglazed. Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Donhold. Lord Bemi Snugglebunny is Guardian of the Hidden Hundred Acre werewood and Holder of the Vorpal Snugglebunny. Lord Brandon Brewer of Castle Black Rune is Sworn Alesmith to House Stark. Did I skip Gregor the Toasty, Lord of the Breadfort? Well, if I did, if I didn't, he's in there twice. If I didn't, if I did, there it is. <laughs> Brian the Defender is Lord of the Spearfort and of the Freelands, Last Scion of Clan McCulloch, Strength and Courage. Lord Brandon Brewer of Castle Black Rune is Sworn ailsmith to House Stark, Grandmaster of the Sithomancer's Guild and Keeper of the Buzz. Um The Bachelor of the Wolfswood is first forester of the old gods, sworn to house iron werewood. Motto: Listen for the Silence. King's Justice is Stir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. We have our Queen's High Council, which we're supposed to have a share read, but we forgot to set that up, so I'll read it this time and we'll set that up for another time. We don't want to miss the shout outs though. Lady Jane of House Celtigar is the Emerald of the Evening, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Axe Painkiller, mistress of the Sea Eagles, and mistress of ships. And we have another couple to add to that later. Uh, our King's Guard is commanded by Lord Commander Sir Christopher Dane of Starfall, Sentinel of the Torrentine. Our Queen's Guard is Lord Commander Hema Hillmanth, the Cell Sword Sentinel. He is retired as a Cell Sword Captain. The Whispering Children are without a commander now. He is now commanding Ashaya's Queen's Guard. And we will work on the shout-outs from her as well. That is coming soon. Also, want to give thanks to our northern, uh, our Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, who is Lord Commander Daenerys Flint, avenging the memory of Brave Danny. Also, backing her up, First Ranger Fabian Flowers, the Bastard of Greenshield, First Builder Patchface of Motley Wisdom, First Steward Sir Jurion of the Torrentine, called Palewind. And a couple other fun ones. I like to throw out a few... This is something I'm doing differently now. I like to throw out some of the ones that don't get regular shout-outs because I think they're fun or good names or what have you. I'm going to go ahead and give a shout-out to Lady Lily Twinflower of House Melrose, longtime supporter, as well as we have Archmaester Alyssa, Keeper of the Werewood Archives, Archmaester McConkey, or sorry, Archmaester McMonkey, whose ring and rod and mask are tainite, as well as... Our friends over at Podcast Winterfell Who do great uh, recaps And they have a call-in show It's a much different way to interact with podcasters They actually let you call in and talk directly to them So it's a little more of a hands-on thing A little more intimate So if that's your thing It's a lot of fun Check them out And unless Sean has anything else to say We'll call that a day
1: Anything, I saw, anything else I have to say It'll be on Twitter
0: Alright, cool uh, So for Ashea, for Sean And for myself, Aziz And my Cat, Which I'm excited to take off Because this thing's hot See you later, everybody.